Hello, I'm the Doctor. Hey Who fans and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 30. Hey. It's like a mini milestone, I guess. 30. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. 30 yeah. episodes. 30. The big 3-0. The big 3-0. Hope you guys <laughs> have had a good week. We've had an awesome week so far. Oh, haven't we, Jess? We're packing it all in. Indeed. Exciting stuff going on behind the scenes and all coming your way soon dear listeners yeah yeah can't say any more than that though can't say any more at the moment no but it's been a good week <laughs> you tease i know I, i'm terrible i can't oh i can't keep secrets i'm terrible <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to mate anything interesting anything who who related uh no no i've just been watching watching a lot um watching a lot of who which is all good um, yep. Obviously, been watching today's review and some other ones as well, uh, which I can't talk about. But yeah, lots of lots of good stuff going on, and um, yeah, busy, busy, busy. Yeah, it is busy, isn't it? Mm. Um, we've had uh, we've had a, an extra recording session this week. Yes, to be revealed a bit later in the show. <laughs> We're being very cryptic. Our listeners are probably like, "What are they banging on about? What are they going on about?" Yeah. <laughs> in fact, talking to Jam Pack today's. Uh, podcast is, I mean, the TARDIS is bursting at the seams for today's podcast, isn't it? It is indeed. I we have just yeah. got so much coming at you today. Yeah, I hope you guys have got a good um, a good hour and a half to two hours to spare, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hope you, if you've got a nice long car journey, this will be perfect. It will be. We've got, we have got so much stuff going on in the podcast today, but it's, it's all good stuff. It is all good stuff. Um, yeah, so you've just been watching a lot of, as usual, a lot of Who... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Stuff. couch potato. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't done much in the last week other than do the same. Really, had to watch, um, had to watch the visitation for later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've yeah, I what did I watch? Um, me and the missus, we watched. Um, you know, for last week we did the Unquiet Dead. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So the disc was just still in the in the player, so we just watched a few extra a few extra episodes from series one. And ah. um, and a visit, yeah. So yeah, just chilled, chilled out. Really, it's half term week, so I've been off looking after the boy. So good time to just kick back, watch a bit of who. What what is after the Unquiet Dead? I've forgotten. Is it the Farting Aliens or is it um, yes. is it the is it? Yeah, ah, it's, um, yeah, the invasion. No, oh, um, so it's the one with the space pig. It's the one where yeah, the um, the spaceship crashes through Big Ben. That's right. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. I'm not sure how I feel about the Slitheine, but mm, yeah, yeah. I haven't okay. watched that one in a while. No. Yeah. yeah okay. One day, one day we should review it. <laughs> oh, it's coming. One day. It just got, it's amazing how much, how much that crops in. I just can't go a day, I don't think, about saying it. One day. <laughs> I shall come back. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, cool. So, uh, yeah, news? Yeah, let's land it. Let's, get, let's crack on. It's a heavy old TARDIS this week, isn't it, Gary? It is heavy indeed, yeah. yeah. Hard to control, I should imagine. Uh, yeah, it kind of, um, yeah, I'm not sure about you, Adam, but the 
at the moment, it looks a little bit like, you remember that episode, The 11th Hour? Oh, yes. It looks a little bit like when it crashes down in front of Amy <laughs> Bond's house. It's in that kind of state, isn't it? Oh, dear. Well, that is bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise we were quite that bad, but yeah, we're obviously, wow. Yeah, bad news. Actually, that is a great scene. I love that. It's all orange, isn't it? It's like got this orange, remember, it looks brilliant. Yeah. Orange mist coming out of it and Indeed. smashed windows and stuff, yeah. <laughs> so, Gary, what we got in the news this week? We have got, my friend, um, this was announced today. And this, um, this is fairly big news, I guess. And um, well, uh, certainly Twitter and Facebook took it as very big news after the have BBC they, announced it. Have they both exploded? They did a little bit earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Michelle Gomez, the mistress or the master, is mm-hmm. back, back for series nine. And back for the very first episode, which I found, I was quite surprised when I heard that. I was like, what? She's, you know, I wasn't surprised in the least that she was coming back, but I am surprised she's going to be in the very first episode. I'm surprised. I thought they were going to uh, give that a bit more of a, a bit more of a break, because unless they're going to kill her off quite early, we're going to find out that um, after this first couple of episodes that she'll be back again. So this is, uh, I can't imagine killing her off, can you? No, no, not at all. No. I mean, that's that's the thing. We've had practically no break from her at all because she was in, I mean, I know time-wise we have, but she was in Death in Heaven, obviously. Yeah. Um, then we've had a Christmas special and then she'll be back already. I mean, this is, you know, to me, feels a bit bit soon, but mm, yeah, we shall see. I'm not sure as well how I feel about it because um, I was really up for, because when we heard the news that Series 9 was going to start with a two-parter, Oh, yeah. Which is great news. Um, and we've since learned that um, it's going to follow immediately with another two-parter. So um, the first oh, four episodes... Oh, I didn't epi- know that. Yeah, the first Oh, yeah, of four- course it is, yeah. Yeah. Series nine, the first four episodes, are, they're going to be, you know, split into two two-parters. Which is really good news, actually. Yeah, I hadn't even thought that until now. Mm. Yeah, really good. So that's cool. But then they announced that... Um, that Missy's coming back, which is kind of cool. I mean, I really like Michelle Gomez. She she played that part very cool, but mm. I just feel that it wasn't written that well, you know, in the last series, especially in the finale. She kind of... Mm, no, um, I, I liked her in Dark Water, um, but but in Death in Heaven, they she kind of ramped up the zaniness to 11 and actually like you said it she wasn't written that well i didn't she started to grate on me a bit i think the danger of missy is she she's the sort of character that can be really good but she can also become very irritating very quickly if she's written the wrong way mm, yeah that's what i thought yeah which leads me on to this little clip that they've released to to go along with the announcement which quite frankly i find awful you know this clip of her eating this apple saying um so I'm back then, and all that. I th- I hate that clip. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, it's, it's just so annoying, and it's only a thirty second clip. Um, no, I I can't. I've watched it three times, three or four times this morning, and it just irritates the hell out of me. It's just awful. Yeah, I I I always I always not regret, but I always think you know after we've spoken about stuff like this and we're a bit of a a bit negative about it. I kind of think after you know should we have been you know negative about this and so on. But you know, I think a lot of Who fans will agree that it wasn't she wasn't written you know in the best light you know in the finale especially. She was a bit um, what's the word not annoying as such, but she was just a bit. There was no substance to her really. She was you know she had all the 
you know, at face value, she had all the chops there. It was, you know, the way she acted the part and everything was quite, you know, as as we expected it to be. But I just thought, I just thought there wasn't enough, you know, there wasn't enough there to concrete her, you know, firmly as a as a decent character yet. So um, maybe no. this will rectify that. I'm not sure. I hope so because, as I said, I did I did like her first sort of proper episode, um, Dark Water, when we got to see a bit more of her, and I liked all the stuff leading up to that. But yeah, in in Death in Heaven, it just she just went too crazy, and like you said, the character wasn't wasn't really there for me. Um, I hope they get it right. I mean, I do like the character of Missy. I think there's a lot of good potential there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I need a little bit more convincing. I think, especially after seeing this little teaser clip thingy. Yeah. Mm. Well, the first um, the first two episodes of series nine on paper, they are shaping up to be very good. The, yeah. the, the titles alone, The Magician's Apprentice, followed by The Witch's Familiar. Sounds very cool. And, mm. you know, they're directed by um, uh, Hetty McDonald, who directed Blink. Oh, yes. And yeah. it also stars um, Claire Higgins, who was um, a hiker in The Brain of Morbius. And also she popped up in that very short um, Eighth Doctor um, uh, the Night of the Doctor, you know, with Paul McGann. Yeah. So there could be a Sisterhood of Khan thing going on. Oh, now that sounds interesting. That I would like. Not sure for definite, but that mm. Claire Higgins has, you know, popped up a couple of times now in that role. So it could be good. It sounds it good did. on paper. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I just, somebody noticed earlier, actually, that um, she's, there's a very quick bit where she puts her arm up in this little clip. Uh, Missy and she's wearing a vortex manipulator on her wrist. Did you spot that? I did. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I have to admit, I uh, someone spotted it, and I, I was going to take credit for it, but I, I thought I better not. But uh, yeah, so she's she's got one of those on, which could be a clue to how she hmm. survived. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Missy, we'll have to see how that one plays out. But yeah, potentially good news. Potentially good. Yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I, I like Missy, and uh, I, I fingers crossed it will be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What's next, mate? So, um, well, yes, there's this there's this uh, new concept for the TARDIS dematerialization that's appeared online, a fan-made clip, um, and it it's fantastic. I assume, are you going to put a link in for this? Or? I'll stick a link in, yeah, in the show yeah. notes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you brought this to my attention. Uh, tell, tell me a bit more about it, but it looks brilliant. Yeah, it was one of those things where I, th um, I was just browsing um, just Doctor Who news earlier just to, to research for, because for our news section, it's not just... Um, a case of magically finding stuff after go out and look for it, unfortunately. But um, there was a uh, a link that I saw on an RSS feed, and it was normally I don't pay too much attention. It was titled something like "Fan Makes a Call Tardis Dematerialization uh, Video," whatever. And I was like, okay, let's um, let's check this out. And the reason why I thought it was so cool um, was because, well, for two reasons really. One, it looks absolutely completely 100% professional, like you would see actually in the show. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, yeah. And and secondly, um, I didn't realise this until shortly after Series 9 started, but the opening theme for Series 9, you know, with the TARDIS that goes through the clock, swirly. All the cogs. And the cogs and all that stuff. That was actually based on um, an amateur uh, visual effects, art, uh, effects artist um, who just put that on YouTube. And um, he didn't really think anything of it um, until Stephen Moffat and some other people at the BBC saw it and said, right, we want to use this as the theme. So, you know, they took it and 
you know, enhanced it and tweaked it a little bit. But essentially, if you watch him, and I'll put a link to that as well, if you watch that guy's opening theme, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, it is. You know, and I think yeah. that's so good how fans of the show can directly contribute and influence, you know, what we see that, that, that ends up on the show. I think that's so good because you wouldn't have really heard of that sort of thing back in uh, Classic Who. You know, that just you know, the age of the internet and social and stuff just wasn't there. So it was, no. you know, much more difficult to get that stuff, you know, to, to the eyes of the BBC. But, um, but yeah, this new video where the guy's done the TARDIS and the effect is just looks, I mean, I, I think it might be a bit long overall to put in the show because um, really you only want it for about sort of 10, 12 seconds, don't you? You don't see the TARDIS um, yeah. sort of disappear or, or materialise somewhere else. But the effect and the way it's done and the quality is just brilliant. I've not seen anything like it before. It's uh, No, yeah. and it seems like quite a sort of simple, when you watch it, you think, ah, this is a, quite a simple idea. I mean, I'm surprised no one sort of thought of this or, or done it, you know. I mean, it's tricky because obviously they've kept the dematerialization, can't say it, um, <laughs> the same as, the, uh, let's just move over that bit, um, kept it the same over the years, which is great. But when you see this, I mean, it, it really is a great effect. You know, the TARDIS sort of takes off and then it kind of goes, the, the background sort of molds into the vortex and then back to the sort of like the location and stuff. It's really, really cool idea. And, and like you said, brilliantly done as well it looks, yeah. looks really good i'd like to find out the um because the guy that did the opening theme um his guy he, he was called uh, billy hanshaw mm. um and he was obviously over the moon with all that but this guy who's uploaded um this new one to youtube he's gone under the name john smith so it'd be cool to find out his real name and yeah. what he's about but yeah it's really cool really really good yeah let's uh, when uh, listeners when you watch it let us know what you think of it because we both love it don't we? we think it's really cool it's really good yeah, yeah. awesome awesome so this next bit of news i'll, I'll let you uh, introduce because i was quite surprised when when you sent me a little link to this so yeah hit us with a third bit of news. yeah this was um i first i actually first found out about this on twitter um a couple of weeks ago where somebody kept um retweeting something and putting a few people in there um and it's for and then i saw this on a doctor who news site and it's basically up in Manchester, in Stockport, um, one of the lecturers there, historian, is going to be running a course, an evening class course, on the history of Doctor Who. How cool. Um, well, I, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, and then I, th yeah, because I thought, why is, this, why is this person forwarding like college evening classes to me? On Twitter, you know, I didn't, I didn't really connect the two at the time, but um, yeah. So starting on the fourteenth of April, it's eleven week evening class. Um, so historian Michael Herbert, who's who's going to be doing the course, is going to take you through um, pretty much the, you know, how the show started and how it got off the ground and all that old stuff that we saw in um, uh, an adventure in space and time. So um, Sydney Newman, Verity Lambert. You know William Hartnell, all that stuff, um, and then right through through you know the classic era with Terence Dix and Barry Letts, all the way through to RTD and, and Capaldi. Um, you're going to learn all of the all of the stuff that went into making the show and the history behind it and and all that stuff. Yeah, so I was going to say it's a pretty big old 
old subject, isn't it? I mean, it could, you could just go on forever, I should imagine. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I hope he doesn't yeah. get really annoying pupils. You know, like a Stock 2 fans, how we, we spot the tiniest little mistake. Imagine if he just got a tiny detail wrong, he'd be having rulers chucked at him. No! <laughs> <laughs> it was episode six, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah very cool. Um, yeah, if you're in Manchester, you might want to you might want to sign up to that. Be yeah, good. I'll, I'll stick a link for that as well. But um, yeah, um, I'm not... Aquinas, Aquinas College in Stockport. Aquinas, if you got that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine it'd be like a little Doctor Who club as well. Do you know what I mean? You can imagine all of the fans gathering and they'd probably know a lot of it anyway, but they'd learn loads of new facts and they could all chat and it'd be a really cool little little group to be in, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, definitely. Shame we're not closer to Manchester. We could sign up. Could sign up as a, <laughs> yeah, as a, as a critique. That's it. Yeah, I could could, just, yeah. Imagine you at the back of the class, Adam. Just every now and then, wrong. <laughs> no, I'd be in detention every week. <laughs> you'd be, <Yeah. laughs> you'd be kicked. Off. We'd be both kicked off, mate. <laughs> we would. <laughs> we would. Outcasts. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that does wrap the news. Yeah. Um, so we've got an extra special bit of uh, of content for you this week, guys. Something a bit special. A bit special. Uh, you would have heard us speak. Um, you'll have to correct me on this, Adam. I think it was two weeks ago. Or maybe in three weeks ago, when mm. in the new section we covered um, a new um, a new book that was going to be released at the end of Feb, uh, based on uh, the brigadier himself, Mister Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. So we've been lucky enough to bag an interview um, with the author, Mister Andy Frankamallen, and he is now joining us on the show, Mister Andy. Mister Andy, how are you doing? I'm okay, man. Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. It's uh, it's really cool to have you on the show. It's um, we we contacted you a little while ago, didn't we, when we first found out uh, about the novel coming up, and uh, I was really surprised you said yes. I'll be honest. <laughs> I talk to anybody. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, whoever, let's talk. It's, I'll, um, I'll call you Mr. Frank Allen then. If he's going to call you Mr. Andy, I'll say hello, Mr. Frank Allen. Okay, cool. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> Mr. Mr. And then their first name. It's me. That's cool. So um, yeah, so. Before we dive into, we've got some, uh, obviously we've got a load of questions to fire at you. Uh, before we do that, um, for our listeners' sake, uh, just give us a bit of a background um, on how you got to this point. So your little bit about your writing history, your love of Doctor Who, and okay. how you're up to uh, releasing a, a novel. Well, um, I've been watching Doctor Who since I was goof, tiny. My earliest very, very, very clear memory is probably Legopolis, although I definitely watched it before then. Okay. Because I, I was like, yeah, cause I was like uh, seven, I guess, when Legopolis came out. So I definitely watched it before then. But I drifted away during the late, well, no, mid-80s, I guess. You know, you, I became a teenager and you just go and do teenage things. Mm -hmm. um, and TV just suddenly less interesting. Um, but then, bizarrely, I came back to it with episode two of Time of the Rani. Odd choice, I know, but just happened that way. And I've been absolutely hooked on it ever since. So, yeah. Um, Writing-wise, I've been writing fiction and working with publishing, copyright law, and all that kind of nonsense for about 10 years, give or take. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've done, um, oh, God, lots of stuff. Uh, my first officially commissioned work was actually Doctor Who um, for Big Finish's short trips back in 2004. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've done three of those, um, two for Gary Russell, one for Joe Lidster. Um, 
beyond that, I've done loads of short stories for an American company called Untrued Reads, and then went on to do their Space 89 series. I was the editor of that, as well as the head writer. Head writer, so TV. Um, and that just sort of led into Leftward Stewart because I've been working with Candy Jar on and off for a couple of years now. And we did the unofficial guide to the companions, which was called Companions, uh, in 2013. And I knew for a few years now, I've known um, Mervyn Hazeman, who owns the Brigadier, he created him. I've known his grandson for a few years now. And well, back in June last year, we were just randomly discussing about a certain um, character of his being returned to Doctor Who and it not being credited on screen. I thought, hang on, man, this is not right. Yeah. You know, why are they not being credited? And that just led me to talk to Hannah, who, who's the executor of the estate. And it just literally snowballed from there in about two weeks and we had the license. Wow. Yeah. I was surprised to hear about that, actually, that they were using using uh, that without permission, because I didn't think that sort of thing could happen these days. So, you know, yeah, did no, the BBC apologise? or I really couldn't tell you. I don't know. Um, I don't know what happened there. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff behind the scenes I'm not privy to. Um, I don't know. All I know is I was a bit, hang on a minute, you know. I know that the, the Doctor Who usage of the Brigadier has been a bit on and off over the years. Mm. You know, it's quite public knowledge that for most of the time they never actually sought the permission. But, you know, that's the BBC back then. Um, and when The Great Intelligence got used in 2013, I think it was only credited for one story, but it appeared three, of course. And oh. I, I, I do know that permission wasn't sought first. So I'm not sure how or why that happened. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I'm just surprised in this day and age. I thought, you know, this sort of thing didn't happen anymore. So I'm just surprised it still does. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's a weird one because, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I can't speak for them because obviously I don't know. But I don't know. It's a tough one because I don't want to say anything that could be, you know, libelous. <laughs> no, no, of um, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know why, how or why it happened, but it did happen. And, you know, it led us to doing Leopard Stewart. So thank you very much, Stephen Moffat. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's weird, isn't it? That out of that actually sort of played a part in this as well. So, you yeah, know, it's totally. good that something good came out of it, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, it all worked out well for me, so yay. <laughs> so <laughs> What's, what's ha Hannah Hainsman's involvement been in the books? Is she kind of, you know, she's obviously given her permission because you know Hannah anyway, don't you? I know Hannah through her brother, Daniel. Um, Hannah's involvement has been essentially, we met with her, discussed like, stuff we could do and then of course the idea of the Brigadier books came up very quickly and all she then licensed it to us using exclusively. Um, beyond that, her input's not really large. I, if there's any big things I want to do, like say with the Great Intelligence, I wanted to bring it back to the original concept because I feel that when it came back in 2013 it kind of drifted a bit too far away mm -hmm. to go back to her grandfather's original inspiration. And so I wrote this um, document which details the history of the intelligence and tells you exactly where it comes from. And I've got to approve it before we sign that off. So she, she's involved. She'll approve anything that's big. But in terms of the creative side of it, she's obviously, it's not her forte. Yes, yeah, I've heard a podcast actually where you're kind of, you're teasing her a little bit about her I, lack of Doctor I, Who knowledge, bless her. She's awesome. She, <laughs> she obviously says, she goes, I don't know anything, but it's okay, I've got Andy, if I need, I don't know, if I need to know. <laughs> it's it. like, we, we told, it's actually quite funny because when we first had this going, I was talking to her about the amount of books and the short stories and the audio dramas and God knows what else has been out with the Brigadier. 
and she knew nothing of these things, mm-hmm. nothing at all. So, so you, you know, so you've brought her into the Who universe, so somewhat. I'm dragging her into. Yeah, the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dragging her in. It's like um, when they showed um, Death in Heaven the finale. I said to her, oh, you should watch it, you know, because she, she, she hadn't heard of Kate Leffer Stewart either, so I told her, oh, the Brigadier's got a daughter, blah, blah, explain this background there, because you should watch it just to see what she's like, because she's actually a really good character, and mm-hmm. Gemma Redgrave is actually really good in the role. So she watched it, and bizarrely, she watched it, and of course, that's when they sort of brought the Brigadier back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of worked out quite well, and she's like, oh, wow, that was bizarre, because, yeah, I had no idea that has happening, so it's just fortunate that I made you watch that episode. <laughs> So, you know. So would that be, um, would you say that would be your inspiration for starting these books then? Would it just your love for the character or was it just the case of he hasn't really been represented in the best light by uh, the BBC over the years? Maybe a bit of both. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the love for the character, absolutely, because, you know, it's a brigadier and he's been a mainstay of Doctor Who for like ever. <laughs> pretty much, actually. It'll be almost 50 years, actually, in a couple of years. So, yeah, yeah been around for a long time. Um, and it's just one of these things, you know how you, know, you have all these spin-offs and there are a fair few out there nowadays and no one, ironically of course they have now, no one ever has done a proper unit series, yeah? So I thought that's kind of bizarre, no series based on the Brigadier, which seems to me the most obvious thing to do ever. Yeah, mm, of course. You know, because, you know, if you're going to do a spin-off from Doctor Who, then it makes sense to do possibly the most popular character beside the Doctor. You know, yeah. But no one, for some peculiar reason, never happened. So maybe it's because it was too obvious. No reason. I don't know. I don't know. Nobody ever bothered. So <laughs> but maybe people just assumed the big deal. Um, the BBC owned him, so they didn't bother. I don't know. So yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Yep. It, it just seemed an obvious thing to do, and I knew for a fact the BBC didn't own him. And I knew who did. So it's just like you know, what, what, why not? You know, absolutely. You know, yeah. It? It's the obvious thing to do. So there well, you go. Was this, when was the Briggs' last appearance? Was it actually in Sarah Jane Adventures? Yeah, uh, 2008. Yeah, because he didn't. He hasn't appeared. No, he's not been in the sort of reboot at all, has he? Which it seems uh, a shame, actually. I always get the feeling that they had plans to, because it seemed like they were slowly phasing him into it, because they kept yeah. mentioning it bit more by bit, more and more, and then he appeared in Sarah Jane. And, of course, he was going to return in the wedding of Sarah Jane, but he was really ill. Um, so I get a sense that they were kind of going to, but then I also heard that apparently Russell didn't want to bring him back because he didn't want him to be seen as an old man, but to be remembered as the hero he was. Right. Okay. So yeah, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. No, that's that's that's, that's quite. I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah. Have you actually? Did you ever get a chance to meet uh, Nicholas Courtney out of interest? Uh, a couple of times, not yeah. in any major way, but we, you know, the usual fan type events, you know, conventions and whatnot. But never sat down and had a proper, proper chat with him, which is a shame because I think sitting over a pint with him would have been hysterical. Yes, I was going to say, you can imagine. He likes a good pint, didn't he? Yeah, I think that would be the perfect thing, wouldn't it? When you you think of the brig or Nicholas uh, Corner, you just imagine sitting in in a pub with him, having a pint and a sort of good old chat, really. Well, for sure. That's why in the book, I don't know if you read that bit, where um, I intentionally had this bit where as soon as he arrives at this village, the first thing he does is, oh, you know what? I could do with a pint. Yes. I'm yeah. like, that's very Nick as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been driving all day. I need a pint, you know? <laughs> and it's also very much the Brigadier as well, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Colonel. Colonel, yes. Yeah, Colonel. they changed the... Um, uh, we reviewed um, uh, the Damons recently, 
And, okay. uh, and Adam, you mentioned that very last scene where I think it was Nick Courtney that changed the line, didn't he, at the end when they said about um, going off to do something and he yeah. changed it to let's go and have a pint or go to the pub or yeah. something. That's right. Yeah. Yates says, do you fancy a dance? And he says, um, I'd rather have a pint. Yeah. And uh, they, yeah, I think they just have lived on the day and asked for it to go in. So, yeah. Well, that, the little reference I put to him having a pint in for God's Son is very much intentionally mm-hmm. referencing that as well. Oh, cool. But that's, again, you know, I really... It worries me how much Doctor Who knowledge is in my head sometimes. <laughs> Actually, there is another lovely little reference in very without giving too much away with the book in the start of the book where um, there's this little boy and he's not sure if the toilet is flushing or if he's hearing a roar of the Yeti and I thought well that's clearly you've you've done that because the Yeti roar was actually a was it it a toilet flushing and slowed down or something because even um, Terence in the forward says that's the very first day he was there yeah trying to make it sound less like a flushing toilet And so I like that he put down a fork because I'm like, well, that's good. That actually sets up the prologue very nicely. Thank you, Terence. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> so, what was your um? Did you what? What point did you speak to uh, to Terence about this? Um, we've been trying to contact him for a while, right? Because uh, we've kind of very early on, we've looked at right, who do we want to get involved. I mean, one of the things we've decided is one, we want to get as many of the authors from the New Adventures and the BBC Heyday who haven't really had much input in the new Who type books because they've been quite limited in their selection of authors. Right. We want to bring a lot of them back, especially those who have written for the Brigadier in the past, you know, like McKinty, obviously, Lance Parkin. Um, and Terence Dix was obviously a given because of his involvement just generally. You know, he was there literally at the beginning and, he's been, and he was, you know, the script for pretty much the entirety of the Brigadier stories on TV. Um, and he's written a few of the novels too so it kind of made sense that Terence would be the man to go to Yeah. so we finally got in touch with him and the original plan was to get him to write a book but he's very busy at the moment and he hasn't got time so that's you know we're all cool with that but he's, we said like you know let us know when you're free and we'll we'll find a slot for you because it's Terence Dick so of course we'll find a slot for him um, And but beyond that you know, he agreed to do a forward, absolutely. You know, he's like, yeah, no problem. Just tell me how many words. Let's, I'll do it. And then we also then I thought, well, we also want to do this particular story, which is kind of a sequel to one of your other stories from TV. And, we just kind of, and he's like, yeah, no problem. You go for it. And oh, cool. Like, well, you just, you know, he's just so awesome. You know, you, some authors may haggle for price. Terrence is like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, he's very much of the old school about that. You know, it's all the creative universe we share. You can, you know, so... That sounds good really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm glad Terence is involved. He's 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 a proper legend from the show, in my point of view. I'm I'm really pleased that he's sort of you know got a hand in this as well. It was absolutely necessary. I think you know we would have gone on without, obviously, but getting his kind of approval, which essentially what it is, kind of it helps us a lot. Yeah. So moving on from that, then, so his it's a sequel to one of his um, uh, TV stories. So. What made you want to set this first story then in that particular time frame for the Brigadier? Because it follows them directly from the Web Affair, doesn't it? It does. It's like set. a two-week gap, is it? It is. Yep, two yep. weeks later. Yeah, when the Brigadier or Lecourne, I keep calling the Brigadier. It's not <laughs> well, he is. He is. He he's is, the isn't brig. he? Yeah. Um, you know, he'll always be the Brig. Doesn't matter what rank he's got. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two weeks later, he's trying to get everybody back in London, you know, get 8 million people back into the city, get it back up and running and stuff. And he's like, oh, this is not what I signed on for. Um, 
the gap, again, it's one of these things that we didn't even really think about. You know, the first conversation me and Sean had, he ran me up. Oh, we definitely got the, we got the license to do da, da, da. And it wasn't even a conversation. It was like, yeah, whether it's got, it has to be that four-year gap. There was right. just no discussion. There's no other, you know, choice, really. It's just like, well, we've got the four-year gap. If we've got to do a story, let's do it from the beginning, you know. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, we can go back to stuff prior to uh, Web of Fear, which we, we will be doing. Um, indeed, Forgotten is very much about before Web of Fear as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, we really didn't need to think about it because it's a four-year gap that nobody seems to have explored very much. Yeah. I mean, there's been a few references in the odd book here and there. Like um, in, oh, I forget your book. I think it's Downtime. It references how pretty much straight away he met Gilmore. Gilmore told him about aliens and they set up human, unit almost straight away. But I'm like, well, it's four years. You know, there's a four-year gap between Rubber Fear and Invasion. And I don't think that unit would have been set up straight away somehow. Because you watch Invasion, and you kind of get a sense that Unit's still a very new thing. Yes. Yep. And so there's a, you know, there's a lot of build-up there, and there's got to be more reason than just one invasion of London. You know, so that's what we're exploring, like, you know, giving him reason for getting this set up. So, yeah. yeah. So you've, you've kind of taken the, um, the, the most obvious time frame where you can build as much story and character yeah, around that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, set up, you know, really... It's kind of what we're doing... And this is really not the greatest analogy because it's not the greatest show on earth, but we're kind of doing what Enterprise was supposed to have done for Star Trek. Mm. You know, put the building blocks in place that later became the show that came before. Over to you, Adam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not a Trekkie. <laughs> okay. Because um, Enterprise, the whole point of Enterprise was, of course, it's set before Kirk, so we can set up all these things that became established in the Kirk era and blah, blah, blah. But Enterprise didn't do that extremely well. Um, whereas, so we're basically doing the same kind of thing. You know, everything that we know about the Brigadier must have come from somewhere. Yeah. So we can explore the, where these things come from, why he became a military officer, why this happened, why that happened, why he married a woman, why, um, like with it, um, Fiona's um, daughter, Doris's mom, Kate's mother, why she never knew he was involved with the military, all these kind of things that we can explore. So... It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's quite nice, actually, because you've got a nice big gap to sort of fill there. I was thinking yeah. that, but in terms of continuity as well, because we don't really know anything about that period. Like, once you get into the unit era, you're into a whole minefield, aren't you? Oh, right, yes. Oh, so it's quite nice that you've got that, that big gap. Mm. We hope to get to the unit era at some point, and that will be a whole different challenge. Yes, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Especially when it comes to the dates. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I don't know, I've got a plan. I know, I, in my head, I know exactly when it's all set. Yeah. So You've got that mapped out. Kind of, yes, pretty much. Um, uh, yeah, but I don't want to say too much on that one. It will create a bit of controversy, but, you know, that's fun. You know, That's, that's cool, though. It's almost impossible, actually, not to create controversy, I think, in the, in the Doctor universe, isn't it? It's so, Gosh, yeah. so tricky not to. <laughs> Especially with a unit dating, you know. Oh, we're actually yeah. thinking if we have, when we get to the unit stuff, we're going to have to make a point of having a scene where the brigadier for bit forbades unit dating, as in dating within unit. <laughs> That's a good, yeah, you know, good idea. No dating unit here. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. So story-wise and character stuff. Um, one of the things that I, when I first found out about the book before we even spoke, yeah. uh, one of one of the the things that 
my mind started thinking over quite a lot was there's been so much written about the doctor and whenever you see any of the um whenever you watch anything to do with doctor who you've always got um uh, a, a series of very solid supporting cast mm-hmm. um but obviously due to that fact that they're not the star of the show there's there's only so much that they could ever do with that character um yeah. within the show so where it came to writing a book which essentially has got very little to do with the doctor himself mm-hmm. um where did you or say where does it, how did you kind of um set the whole story up approaching it from the lead character Brian Lethbridge Stewart because I must have, I must have think that the everything that we've seen before either in the show or we've read to do with uh, the brig um, he's always been the 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 a crutch character for the doctor yeah. um, so surely that I mean if I was to think you know right I'm gonna I'm gonna have a crack at this I'm gonna have a, a go at writing a book all about the brig I've, I'll be honest with you I wouldn't know where to start so how did how did you get into that whole mindset of this is not about the doctor this is about the brig i think it's do you i don't know if you did but did you read any adventure books no no no, no. i was trying to think of them the other day actually no oh. i didn't didn't i sort of i was a bit like you and you said you sort of drifted out i kind of yeah. drifted away from here at that point unfortunately okay um in I think it was ninety three, but it might have been earlier. Um, they did this book called Birthright, Nigel Robinson, which is basically the um, Bernice and Ace with no Doctor in it. Okay, but still, it felt like the Doctor was there. His presence just seems to linger because it's Doctor Who. And I think with these series, it's also you get that sense that even though the Doctor's not there, it still is Doctor Who. You know, you can't have even even if someone's leading it, that's not the Doctor. It's still. Kind of like with Sarah Jane, I guess. Right. With Sarah Jane Adventures, even though she's not the Doctor, she kind of fills the same role, in a sense. You know, she's the instigator. Mm. She's the one that's having the adventure and whatever. Um, with the Brigadier, it actually was crazily easy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And that's why I said I said that to Sean literally when I first wrote the first chapter. I was like, this is. It's scary how easy this is to write because I'm thinking this would have been really like hard work, but it's probably one of the easiest things I've written. Wow. Um, okay. Also, the most challenging because I know for a fact it's also the one that's going to get the most feedback. Yeah. You know? And if I get it wrong, people will let me know. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> who fans aren't that? Who fans, yeah. They're not that critical, are they? Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been a fan of Doctor Who for long enough. I know for a fact that. You know, people hold this stuff dear and they're very invested in these characters. So, of course, mm. they've got opinions on them and, they've, you know, they're very fully formed too. But yeah. um, I think with a Brigadier, with any character, I think, it's a case of finding a personal angle. Yes. You know? So yes. I was just thinking, my, my main thought is, okay, look, let's look at the character before he met. He's always done, he's met, one, he's met the Doctor once. He's suddenly been confronted with this idea that aliens exist. So that's something you kind of have to deal with. You know, that his, basically his entire world has kind of shifted a bit, you know. So that gives yeah. you some, a nice um, conflict internally to start off at. You know, and then, okay. of course, as you'll know, we've forgotten some from what you've read. It's very much a personal story for him as well. Mm. I thought that was important. It's got to be about the character. It has to be about his personal journey. So, yeah, scary and too easy, I think. Which probably <laughs> and um, so this... The, the character itself, um, 
which obviously leads this whole uh, this this story that you've written here. So, did you um, did you take the same approach to that when because you're 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 the um, the editor for the series as well? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So, what was it like? So, you you, you wrote the first one in the series, which there are four. Yep. Um, did you keep a consistent approach, that same mindset then, when you were overseeing the other the other authors and what they were writing about, or did you just give them kind of free reign and as long as they kept it within a certain... Well, I think I've kind of given free reign to a degree. Basically, what we've done is, um, me and Sean, we tell you, right, these are the four stories we want, like four types, rather. Yeah. Um, you know, because we've got the license to all of the Hazeman stuff, so it makes sense in the first batch to use all the Hazeman stuff. You know, Yeti, Detsen, um, Travers, all these people. Yeah. Um, so it's a case of less. And what we can do is bring the pieces together bit by bit, not just throw it all in one. Um, and I kind of forgot your question now. Yeah, it was. Um, I do this sometimes. <laughs> no, that's cool. So you, you wrote the. Um with the first novel in the series, which you wrote yourself, did oh, you yeah, take that same approach when you were overseeing the other authors okay. and stuff? You know? um, the funny thing is, um, book two is only just being finished now, the first draft, so I've not actually read it yet. Okay. Book three, again, likewise, I've seen bits of, but not much of. Um, book four, I know um, Nick's on chapter four at the moment, so I've read the first three chapters of that. Um, you know, overseeing this is kind of easy because the Brigadier, for the people who are writing this series, and I imagine it'll stay this way, is a very defined character in their head anyway. Okay. And because of Courtney's performance, yeah. getting his voice is very, 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 for me and it seems for them too, it's quite easy to do because we've obviously lived this character for so long. You know, it's one of those like, oh, you don't, you barely need to even think about writing him. Mm. You know, he literally writes himself. You know, all you've got to do is keep in your head he's a bit younger at this point. He hasn't experienced all this stuff that we know he's experienced later. So overseeing it, the only thing I need to oversee really is the development of the <clears throat> supporting cast, which we obviously will be building up over time. Yeah. So we've got lots of original characters who will be ongoing because obviously when you're writing a series that um, has a certain group, <clears throat> you have to follow through on stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> So yeah, that's based, That's the only thing I need to really oversee is that we want these kind of stories, we've got these sort of things to happen to these characters, but in terms of the actual writing, the whole point is we're getting people that we know can do the job. Yes. That one yeah. we need to monitor. You know, like you get Lance Park and you know it's going to be a very good book. Mm. You know, but obviously it'll be edited to do because we've got like series specific stuff that may need to be altered a little bit here and there. Um you get McKinty, obviously he knows the character because he's written for him several times. Yeah. You know, and all the people we got for the second batch again, you know, they all, they're all very tried and they know what they're doing. So the whole point is you hire these people to make your job easier. Mm. <laughs> people you can trust. Yeah, people yeah. track record, you know you can trust, you yeah. know they're going to do a good job. Yeah. It doesn't always work out that way, but, you know, you have to believe that that's why you're hiring them and they will pull it out of the bag. Absolutely. And so far, so good. I was just wondering, actually, how easy was it to get the, the BBC on board with this? Because I know that they can be quite um, careful about, you know, mm -hmm. giving out the licence for these things. Um, you know, they're quite meticulous. And even, you know, like Big Finish said, they had trouble, you know, renewing the licence at times. So how, how easy was it to get them on board with the idea of it? 
Um, again, quite easy because what we've done, um, we made a point of letting them know pretty much from the offset what we're doing. Because as we know, and as others have confirmed to me, <clears throat> the BBC know they can't do anything about it because they don't own the character and they know that. Mm. Even though the left of Stuart's now, of course, kind of important to them because of the whole Kate thing. <clears throat> um, so we, it, I think the, the trick was, and what we did right, is we contacted them first. We didn't wait for them to find out. Right, yeah. We contacted them and said, look, this is what we're doing. Just We just want to make sure you guys were aware this is what we're doing. And we're obviously big fans and we're going to be maintaining the integrity of the product and indeed of the property, which is, of course, just Doctor in general. And, you know, we'll let you know what's going on and stuff. And we've been talking to them ever since. So although it's not an officially BBC-approved series, it's... And, and we can't really say they've got their, it's got their backing as such, but they're aware of it and they are happy with what we're doing. Yeah. And we are in talks to them con- constantly about various things. And it looks like we'll be doing other stuff with them too that's not fiction related. So, yeah, there's a lot of doors opening and BBC, you know, it's funny because, you, like you say, it's the BBC have got this reputation for being quite hard with all this sort of stuff. But I got a feeling that's a misconception. Right. experience I think they're actually a lot easier than people realize I think again it comes down to if you show them that you respect go to them first then they're quite good with it yeah and you can show them that you've got integrity as a publisher because one of the main things we've been doing is making showing them and making them aware of what else we do I say we candy jar because I'm not involved in everything um, that you know the left with Stuart stuff is a minor minor part of a bigger bigger company that's right yeah. so it shows them that the integrity of what we do as a company. And I think that's what's kind of helping it a lot more. We're not just a, and it's not to demean the others, but we're not just a niche publisher. You know, we're not just um, Doctor Who related stuff only. We're not just the fans, you know, trying to make a quick buck. We're hmm. a company, you know, with integrity. And that seems to be working out for us. So we will continue to do this. Yeah, that's what I quite quite like about that shit is that you are you you know you're not sort of somebody who's coming in like you said writing a BBC book to to make money. You're fans of the show, so mm-hmm. you know so it's a pat. You can tell you know being an independent that you're doing it with a passion, which is, makes a big difference actually. I think so. Yeah. Did you have the same approach because you wrote a Doctor Who uh, book a while ago on the companions? Mm-hmm. Was that a similar experience? Was you contacted the BBC? They were quite cool with it, and away you go. Um, that was a little bit different because because it's a reference book. The BBC are more lax with reference works. I'm not sure why. I really? Think should have, yeah, okay. kind of weird, but they are. Um, and because we were writing about the show, but as opposed to writing for it, because I mean, when you're writing fiction, it becomes kind of different because you're literally playing with their toys. But when you're <laughs> yeah. writing about their toys, it's not. They don't seem to be too bothered by that. Um, again, we consulted people at the BBC about it, like how far can you go with the cover art? You know, we did originally have intended to have like um, images of the characters on the cover, um, and we revised not to because yeah. then we're basically stepping on copyright. Then, right? So um, you know, and of course, obviously, a key you can't copyright a key. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, we we were we were consulting, we were just getting advice and stuff. We weren't just going in thinking, yeah, we can do what we want. You know, which I think oftentimes people do. You know, I think people misunderstand that you can't just do as you please. Yes, you know, when absolutely. When you're playing with somebody else's copyright, you have to be aware. You know, because at the end of the day, you 
if they want to, they can slam you down. Yeah. And then you'll know about it. Sure. You know what I mean? So I think it's just a case of being wise and being cautious and keeping communication with these people, you know. You show them respect and generally things can work out quite well. So, yeah. Talking so of the cover art, sorry, Gary, I guess I, I do love the cover art, Forgotten Sun. It's very sort of classic. It's got a real style to it. It's really nice. What a sort of target feel. Yeah, yeah, it's just got a sort of retro, but it still looks modern, if that makes sense, look to it. Yeah. I do look, really like it. So uh, we've had a lot of good feedback on the cover art. Um, Simon Williams, who's done lots of Marvel-type stuff as well. Um, and we did, again, one of these things is we want to echo a lot of people's nostalgia. Because, you know, at the end of this, a series about a character who's going to be more nostalgia than anything else anyway, just by virtue of who he is and his place in Doctor Who history. And before, you know... Cover-wise, let's try and echo the old Target books, just as a kind of love letter to the fans a bit. And when you open the first page, it's set out in that old Target style as well. Mm, yeah, you know, because you know we're fans, and we obviously want to show that we know what we're doing. We love the show. We are aware of the nuances of its history. So, hopefully, that shows up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Because we were talking about covers last on the last podcast where we gave, we were saying because there's so many dot two books out there. We were sort of saying that sometimes when you go into a charity shop or something and you see all the old, like there's one near me that has all the old targets, and you sort of think, well, I can't buy them all, so you always go for the ones with the best covers if you don't know what they are. Because yeah. I picked up a couple of the not what what's the other books, not the Virgin ones, but the other books that came out around about the same time. There was a whole load of these books. They all had really good covers, but I can't think of the series. Um, they might have even been BBC books, I'm not sure, but there was a lot of Eighth Doctor ones. Oh, yeah, that would have been BBC, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, their, so, yeah. Covers, their covers didn't start off great. No, that's what I mean, yeah, you're always drawn in by the good very cover. quickly. Mm. <laughs> the, um, the logo that, you, that, um, that was used, the Lethbridge Stewart, is that going to be present across all the covers, do you know? What, the actual type or the thing behind it? Yeah, so the, the green type with the... With that yeah, the green type. We're thinking of maybe changing the colour for every batch. Oh, cool. Mm. But we're not we're not definitely decided on that yet. But <clears throat> yeah, the logo is designed again to kind of echo the current who a little bit. Oh, you no, mean the type and stuff? Yeah, it's not the same typeface, but it's kind of echoes it a bit. Mm-hmm. Just to say, you know, we are, you know, it's kind of fun because what we're trying to do is it's really hard work, but I don't know. I think it's working. We were trying to kind of get the mindset of New Who in that, you know, modern storytelling is all about the emotion, about the character journey and all this, but still make it feel like it's old Who as well. Mm. So it's it's an interesting thing to do, both from a design point of view and from the narrative point of view. So I think we've done it well, but again, until it's out there properly, we can't be sure. It does look very cool. I like yeah. the um, the typeface at the bottom. It's got a classic, a classic oh, the, feel the, to it. By the bottom is very much a target thing. Yeah, and the illustration as well is just superb. Mm. Yeah, it's really I was just cool. thinking about you saying it uh, when it's out as well. I'm thinking we're getting so close to the actual launch date now. Are, are you feeling? Are you feeling nervous? <laughs> are you are you looking forward to it being out there? Or how are you feeling? Ah, uh, um, I'm trying not to think about it too much. Because to <laughs> um, we seem to inadvertently got three release dates which is kind of oh. weird yeah it wasn't meant to be because um, we originally set up to be released on 22nd which would be um, Nick Courtney's birthday that was the original plan but then I got pushed back because of the Who shop 
just sort of thought it would be better to launch a week later. So that's the weekend the 28th. And then Amazon, as it listed as 26th. So I'm like, oh, okay, we seem to have three release dates. Okay, that makes it more interesting, I guess, you know. Yeah. So we decided the 22nd is basically the cutoff point for any pre-orders from us directly. And the 26th is the Amazon release date, apparently. And the launch is the 28th. So it's kind of an interesting three-stage thing going on now. Um, how I'm feeling about it, as I said, I'm trying not to think too much about it. Um, kind of exciting, a bit daunted, because it is a huge thing to do. Yeah, it's a big, you know, much-loved character. You know, this potentially, if we play it right and the response is well, it could, you know, it could be like the possibly the biggest spin-off Doctor Who's ever done because of the character, mm. not because of necessarily what we're doing, but just because of the character, you know, because this could be. I suppose potentially this could be the biggest thing since the Sergio Adventures, you know. Yeah. 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 It's a shame we're not doing a TV series because then it would be the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because it's TV. Yeah. As it's a book series, obviously it's a slightly different market to play with. But if we play it right, it could still be, you know, the biggest Doctor Who prose thing since, I don't know, I suppose you could say probably since the EDAs. You know, the Eighth Doctor Adventures. Yeah, yeah. The potential to be the biggest thing the Doctor Who pros have done in, you know, over a decade. So you're not so. putting any pressure on yourself at all? Oh, really. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's, it is scary. And we know there's a lot of pressure on us to get us right. But it's kind of funny because I remember when, what was it, a few weeks back, I think it was, I'm not sure. I think it's when it got announced and it ended up in the magazines and it ended up all over the internet, literally all over the internet. And John around me goes, oh, my God, it's gone mad. And he couldn't believe just how insane it goes. And he'd be like, but you were ready. You knew this was going to happen. I'm like, well, yeah, because I've been working on this for like five months. You've been obviously in the background because he's doing other stuff for the company. Mm. And suddenly it just hit him how big this could be. Yeah. And I think because I've been working with it for five months at that point, I got used to the idea of it. But now we're nearing it, it's starting to think like, wow, this could be kind of massive. Could be cool. Yeah. So the it launch on the scary. <laughs> the launch on the twenty eighth at the Who Shop, you're actually gonna be there, aren't you? I will be there, Terrence Sticks will be there, Hannah will be there. Unfortunately Gemma won't be there, which is a shame, but you know, she's got other commitments apparently. Okay. Um timing kind of malfunction as they say. Um but I know they're trying to find somebody else on the T V series, so Hopefully we'll have another guest announced beforehand. We'll do it. Either way, it'll be a laugh because I'll be there and if nothing else, I'm entertaining. Yeah. Um, and Terrence will be there, so if I'm rubbish, Terrence will be there. Well, we can step in. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, you'll be there, so we'll just let you talk. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll be a great event. It's a great, good shop, actually, the shop. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fun place. Yeah. get lost in there. They've got loads of um, old costumes and original props, haven't they? And they've got like a little museum, so yeah, very cool. And the staff there are quite fun too. Alex yes. and Sam, they're, they're definitely good laugh. Yeah. And what's wonderful, last time I went there for the um, companions thing, I arrived and she's like, oh, do you want coffee? We've got biscuits and sandwiches for you and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I can stay all day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll be sitting there with my coffee. You know, oh, I would sign your book, but I'm doing coffee, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your own little backstage rider going on. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's cool then. So... Let's um, let's rewind a little bit then. So, Classic Who. Classic Who. Um, you're a, you're a fan of Classic Who up until is it eighty eight, eighty nine ish? Roughly. I'm a fan of all of it, really. But yeah. What's the um, so what what's the, the the thing about the newer Who then? 
not like you say you're you're a fan of all of it but what what makes right. the classic stuff more your your preference um i think it's probably a associative memory you know that that's what i grew up watching and i don't know it's really hard to say because you know i don't want to be i don't want to bad mouth the new series because there's a lot of good stuff in it um i don't know it's really it's hard to say it's, you know that phrase indefinable magic um and there was there's some there's a quality about the old series that has an appeal i think it's more i think it's an age thing you know not that i'm really old or anything i was gonna say um, you're not uh, yeah. <laughs> um i about the same age as Adam Mish. Um, <laughs> this is why Gary won't turn the Skype camera on because he's actually probably <laughs> yeah. 80 yeah. years old. Like, oh. It's a really old photo he's using. It's probably not even him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's an age, yeah, an age thing. You know, it's, it, it was my childhood. It was my formative years and all that. Um, I don't know. I don't think I can honestly put my finger on one defining quality about old who that appeals to me. I mean... I'll say yeah, it's storytelling, because back then, of course, and I think something that the new BBC is beginning to notice is that old who had more time to breathe in their stories. You know, they had four episodes on them as a rule, Absolutely. so you had time for the story to develop. Yeah, you know, you had more time for the characters to develop. Um, and generally, even though you know you get the phrase about the wobbly sets and that nonsense, which is not totally untrue, um, generally they had really good actors. You know, it's because that old thing that you hear that everybody wanted to do a Doctor Who, which is, again, true of New Who. Um, so obviously there's a massive appeal of it. And the fact is, it's around since I was, you know, literally my entire life. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Literally, it's been around longer than I have. So it is old. Um, and I've watched it, you know, as pretty much as far back as I can remember. It's one of those things that sort of sticks with you. I don't know. Like I was watching last night, I stuck on um, Dancer Invasion. Yeah, I know. Um <laughs> Invasion, Invasion of Dinosaurs even, sorry. I was just thinking, yeah, I thought it was wondering what that was. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a BBV one or something. Yeah, 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 it's a special one. Um, <clears throat> I was watching it, and I got two episode two for me when I fell asleep just because it was very late at night, not because I was tired, not because it's rubbish. Um, and even now, although, yeah, okay, the dinosaurs do look a bit rubbish, let's put it nicely, um, it's still really good fun. You know, it's very well played. It's played f- for real. You know, it's not a send-up or anything. It's not a comedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, great performances, good script. You know, the chemistry between John Pertwee and Liz Layden is fantastic. Mm. Nick Forty, of course, is awesome. And, yeah, it's just, you know, you can't fault Well, you can fault it, but in a nice, fun way. Um, I don't know. I don't feel I can ever, ever, honestly, just tie it down to one thing. There's just something about Doctor Who. You know, when you grow up with something, I suppose you kind of get that rose-tinted glasses about it, you know. Yeah, so, so there's yeah. a combination of things like an element of nostalgia and you know some more simplified storytelling. Yeah, and uh, I think yeah, it's interesting you touch on the uh, the guys at the BBC now are looking at um, the older stuff because um, in series nine coming up, there's going to be at least two two parters now. Yes, at so, least. Um, yeah, so that's going to be cool. Possibly comment on that because I know nothing. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> but yeah, it does seem from what I'm hearing, there's going to be a bit more than two two parters. So I'm hearing. Uh-huh. I hope so. On that, <laughs> that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Which is, if if it's true, and it does seem to be bearing fruit now because we've had the second one announced already, then that's a really good thing. 
because two-parters, even in New Who, Jonah two-parters tend to be the strongest stories. Mm. I love two-parters. You know, love the cliffhangers. Three, or three sometimes, because mm. you know, Utopia and Last of Time was three-parter, which mm. kind of was really, really works. Yeah. So, you know, and you, a story does need to breathe, you know, it needs to develop. And as much as fun as it can be rushing through 45 minutes and you get this adrenaline rush and stuff, sometimes I find the story can lack as a result. You know, you yeah. can't really get the development yeah. of character and story in only 45 minutes very well, you know. Is that, um, is that something that you've ever considered, Andy? Um, as, you know, as, as well as writing a novel and being very much into um, uh, writing around a story based mm. in the world of Doctor Who. Have you ever considered writing for, for TV? Of course. Yeah? I mean, TV Doctor Who or just TV generally? In general. Um, yeah, I would definitely give a shot if the opportunity came. It'd be a whole different discipline, but then that's writing for you. You know, There's a lot of people who say, oh, if you can write a book, then you can write a short story. If you can write a short story, you can write TV. If you can, you know, it's like, well, no, that's not true, because mm. each one is a very different discipline. Right. You know, it's all storytelling, but it's a very different type of storytelling. You know, it's a very different type of developing characters and whatever else. You know, so I would like to give it a go. And if the opportunity came my way, then, yeah, I'll jump at it just because it's a new chance. And it could be something that I'm really suited to. I could be absolute disaster at it. <laughs> just don't know until I try, you know. That's it. Yeah, you don't know until you try. So, I mean, if it comes to writing, I'll give anything a go for once. Like with um, the Companions book, you know, that was the first reference work I've written on. And it was hard work because it's, it's again, it's so different from what I usually do. Yeah. And I got to the end of it, and we were planning on doing a, another sort of follow up about Sarah Jane. And for many, many reasons, it fell through. The primary reason being that, you know, I found Companions such hard work to write because it's not my thing. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I much more enjoyed writing fiction. Story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. But that was a lesson learned. But it was a good experience, you know, and I got to watch every single episode of Doctor in six months, so that was fun. <laughs> Holy, yeah, really? That intense. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was just wondering, actually, yeah, when did, I mean, there's this sort of, has this been burning inside you for ages, wanting to write for, for the Brigadier or the Colonel? Is it, is it something you've, oh, you've wanted to do for a long, long time? I love that you asked that, because the basic of this story of the Forgotten Sun goes back to 97, 98, Right. I've, I've, I've scanned recently um, all these notes for this story I actually did write back in then. And I've, I've scanned them all, so I'm going to put them online once the book's been out for a little while, so not to give anything away, which will show you the original draft for the, the books that eventually be led into this one. Oh, cool. So a lot of the elements from this originally were conceived in 98 in a book called, um, what's it called? Originally it was called Who Are the Men in Black? Then it was called The Lake. And then a revised version, which is closer to the one we've got now, was called The Forgotten. So it's one of these things I've always had in my head. Again, I can't really say it without giving it away. Mm. I've had a certain element of the Brigadier's past that's been in my head for like, you know, 20 plus years now. Um, so it's nice to actually make it real finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and the town, the village in Cornwall, Bledo, I created that for that story way back. So it's nice to actually finally make that official. Yeah, and Buckinghamshire is the other one, isn't it? In the, in the, isn't it part of it set in Buckinghamshire? Oh, in um, Coles Hill. Coles Hill, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where Mary Gore comes from. Yep, that was again an intentional thing, which I can't really explain the why of it yet at the moment. <laughs> or something. 
Yeah. Uh, it's really it's really bizarre because obviously I, I researched a fair bit, you know, because you've got so much material of the Brigadier out there in book form, and although I'm not bound by it, because obviously to be bound by everything that's been written about the Brigadier would be so limiting. You know, at the end of the day, as long as it doesn't um, contradict TV stuff, then I'm okay. That's where I look at it because that's yeah. the, that's the barometer. Um, anything else from any other book, I don't mind echoing or suggesting that you know, you know, because of Doctor Who and it's multiple timelines, lots of things happen in different slight realities in a slightly different way. You know, like the whole Kate because there's this whole thing going on in the discussion about Kate left Stewart now she's official that makes downtime official blah 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 it's like well no it doesn't it just means that the doc, the brigadier had a daughter called Kate in both versions of reality mm. you know, it doesn't mean mean downtime is part of the TV canon if you like it just means that she was born in both you know slightly altered realities you know yeah. oh yeah yeah and so that's the way I'm looking at this is that you know it's it's a spin-off from the tv show and it will touch upon certain aspects of the expanded media but it doesn't necessarily mean it's saying i'm set in exactly the same reality as all of these different because there's no way honestly to tie um the new adventures necessarily the edas the um big finish stuff and all the other stuff they don't fit together really Oh no, it'd be impossible. I mean, there was so much stuff came out during that hiatus of the sort of nineties, and that it's it'd be impossible. Yeah. And they do often contradict each other. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a madness to try to make them all fit. I mean, you could if you wanted to, but you'd have to bend stuff so much just to make it fit that you're like, well, how about if we just acknowledge the fact that all these things exist, but not necessarily all in the same timeline? Yeah. You know? Well, that's the great thing about Doctor Who, isn't it? You, you know, you've got multiple timelines. You can of course you have. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, um, you know, in Night of the Doctor, when the Eighth Doctor announces all the big finished companions yeah. on TV, and everybody's like, oh, that's it, the big finished story's all canon. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, that's one perception. Or you could say, in this, in the TV canon, somewhere he's met these characters, but not necessarily as in Big Finish. They're just the same characters. You know, it doesn't mean these adventures necessarily happened. You know, it just means that he met these people in his timeline. You know, so... It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't think, because if you do, if that makes all the Big Finish stuff canon, then it makes all the Big Finish stuff canon, mm -hmm. which does create a whole kind of set of contradictions that it's going to be very hard to explain away. It's a can of worms, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, as soon as, you, as soon as you open that. Exactly. Yeah. It's a nice touch, but to me it just says that he did travel with Charlie in the TV timeline. doesn't necessarily mean it is exactly the same as in Big Finish. It just means a version of these things happened. Yeah. You know, it's a good way of um, it's, it, avoiding it, it, the mind. It's the same way, yeah. I think. You know, it stops me going completely mad. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, it would literally drive you insane. You'd end up like the the Dalek at the end of Remembrance, where he's just spinning round and going crazy because he just can't compute. Yeah, can't, you just you can't even go there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I used to be one of these fans back in the day of trying to meld it all together. Back in the nineties, wasn't years. I liked to try to make it all one, but nowadays I'm like, you know what? There's too much of it. Yeah. Uh, now we've got a TV series again. That's the only barometer that you have to need to match. Yeah. If you don't contradict that, you're okay. It's a bit like um, uh, when Disney bought out Lucasfilm and Star Wars. Mm. They immediately just <laughs> wipes out everything that all the I authors. I have to say, yeah. I laughed. <laughs> I laughed. It happened so much. I'm like, hey, Star Wars fans, now you understand how we've been living for the last 10 plus years. <laughs> exactly, you yeah. Know, all you those, know. yeah. 
because they're all like, oh, this is canon. No, you can't. These are official. It's like, well, no, they're not. They're just an interpretation of this universe. Yeah, exactly. Just like all the books we've had to deal with, you know, <laughs> welcome to our world. Yeah, I can imagine it is tough at times. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's part of fandom, isn't it? That's part of being a fan, and, you know, we've all done it. Uh, yeah, huge amount of fun, though, at the same time. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. you know. So we're going to um, – just one last question, actually. Um cool. So these four, um, these series of four books that are, uh, are due out um, starting uh, next week. Um, have you got any, not to give us any spoilers or anything like that, but do you have any other cool Doctor Who stuff coming in the pipeline? Oh, yeah, we do. Um, gosh. Give us the goss. Give us the goss. I'm trying to think, how can I word it about giving stuff away um it's really we got tough. him on the rack gary it come really on. is a tough one come on <laughs> come um on. okay i can say absolutely next year there's two books because one thing we're keen to do is at the start of every year is have a story that's connected very strongly to a past doctor who story um you know kind of it's kind of like the season um opener so it's got to be big and whatever yeah um next year we have two planned the first one, uh, can I say the title? Yes. I suppose I can say the title, can't oh, I? Oh, give us a scoop. Uh, I'll give you a, the title will be A Servant of Two Masters. Make of Ooh. that what you will. Whoa. Oh. Okay. I'll make of that what you will. It could be anything, it could be nothing, um, which is related to a past story of Doctor Who, which we've been allowed to sequel, prequel. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm not going to say we authorize that because that would give away too much. Um, and the season also, the season, listen to me, the year ends with another sequel to another classic Doctor Who story, which I will say has been authorized by Terence Dix. But I'm not going to tell you the title. Ah, okay. That, oh, all right. Way, 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 way too much. Um, and there's also other stuff that we want to do. We're in talks with certain authors and whatever else. But we are hoping eventually, uh, at some point, to actually get the BBC to give us a license for the wider verse of Doctor Who anyway. Yeah. At some point, we're kind of going to need it. Ah, you know, at some okay. point, we're going to have to get to the year stuff. You know, we're going to have to get Kate Bourne. We're going to have to, you know, all these little things in the Brigadier's life that kind of has to be touched upon. Mm. Right. The whole in teaching the whole you know in retiring from unit and so on and so on and so on so yeah yeah that's it's really cool time. yeah all very intriguing yeah i was gonna say yeah because yeah, the exciting um, stuff yeah because what what we've read um so far um of lethbridge stewart plus these mm. um these other three that are on the way i can i'm pretty sure that he's gonna be a huge success and i think people are going to be hungry for for more from from you guys so, uh, i really hope so it's yeah. like i say in the back of the book i've got a lot to prove here because on some level i seem to have come from nowhere it's not true i mean i've been around for like 10 years in the publishing industry and obviously i've done doctor who stuff before but from for a majority of newer fans you know me and indeed candy jar i've sort of come out of nowhere and so we've got to prove our worth now yeah and we kind of have to do it in book one really We've got four books to do it with, but book one especially we have to deal with. So we have to get this right. Yeah. So yeah, as you say, there's no pressure. No at all. No, no pressure there. It's okay, you know. <laughs> and what's the um what's the time um gap between the books coming out? In terms of release. Yeah, so when the other books are gonna be released, is it a monthly well, thing? Deal, 
one a quarter okay. at the moment. Um, my hope is next year we'll be knocking up to five releases a year. Because okay. I feel that once we've got past the first year, once we've actually established ourselves, there's going to be a demand for more, I think. I, I could so. be yeah. wrong here, yeah. but the feeling I'm getting is there's going to be a demand for it because the only Doctor Who pros we get at the moment is, like, what, three New Who books a year and a few short stories maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Reprints. Loads and, of reprints, yeah. Yeah, and there's a massive, massive gap now in Doctor Who prose fiction. No, because you know, back in the New Adventure days, we were getting basically what almost twenty-four a year, which is a lot. Wow. Yeah, it's the same amount, but you know, and they were getting sold. But of course, we've got the TV series now, so that sort of takes that edge off a little bit. But it still leaves a market for proper, strong, not so aimed at young people prose. Because I mean, I don't know if you've read the newer books, but they are obviously aimed at a lot younger audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Venture stuff. So we're trying to find that middle ground there where we're, we're kind of echoing the new adventures in terms of more depth to the story. Again, like I know you've read a bit of Forgotten Sun, so you could probably see that. Mm. But we're also trying to aim at a, a broader readership of newer fans too. And hopefully bring all the, a lot of newer fans in and show them how awesome the Brigadier was. Yeah. You know, and why he's such a mainstay of Doctor Who. So I can only hope we achieve it. I can't guarantee it yet because I'm a bit biased. You know, <laughs> I think I'm too close to it. I hope we've achieved it. And certainly the feedback I've got from various people, like Christian Corley, um, Gustavus, he's reading the book for a review at the moment, and he mentioned on the podcast recently how much he's really, really enjoying it, and it feels like reading a new adventure. So when I heard that, I was like, ah, oh, cool. If anybody, if everybody has that opinion, then we've achieved what we want. Yeah. So... I was just going to yeah. say that, actually, with you saying about all the different reprints of books, it's nice to have something fresh, uh, yeah. you know, rather than just getting the same stuff over and over again. It's lovely to have something, like you said, a new adventure to actually dip into. And, and obviously, yeah. with a character like the Brigadier that's so loved as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, the Doctor Who fans do tend to be readers as well. Yes, definitely, yeah. yeah. It does seem to um, entice readers into its family, whatever you want to call it. So there's obviously a market there. And I'm surprised that nobody's actually thought, oh, there's a market here. Let's jump in there. So Yeah, I must say, I thought that shit. And I was, like you said, when, you know, like you said, you came out of nowhere a bit. It was when they were first announced. I was like, whoa, where's this come from? And it yeah. was a kind of like, like you just said, I was thinking, I'm amazed no one's thought to do this before, actually. Mm. Yeah. So, a, so I'm pleased a, you've done it. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, you know, when you look at all the Doctor Who books that are still being released unofficially, and there's, there's lots of reference stuff and what have you, biographies and all that kind of stuff, but nobody's ever thought to license a particular character or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. But I suppose it's going to be a tough one. How many characters from Doctor Who has that saleability? You know? Mm, yeah, that's true. You know, you've got, you've got compa certain companions, but then they own by the BBC, so that creates all kinds of fun. But then those that aren't owned by the BBC, there's not a whole load of them that are big enough to probably carry this sort of thing. Not the Melanie Bush years or uh, <laughs> anything like that, then. <laughs> or Dead as a Dodo. The no. Tet Trap Tales or... <laughs> Come on, I'm giving you gold here. Quality. Well, no, actually, another <laughs> thing we're hoping to do, um, again, it's nothing official yet, but we are definitely looking into it, is doing the Professor Travers adventures. Oh, cool. We love Professor Travers, yeah, don't we, Gary? Yeah, he's awesome. We're yes. thinking of doing a nice old... Um, 
what the, what's that thing? What's good? Well, what's it? Boys Zone. You know the Boys Zone Adventures. I'm sure you've heard of them. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're basically like you know, kids' adventures or adventure stories. Going out, you sort of teach kids stuff a bit as well about mythology or whatever. And Travers is obviously the guy to do it because even before Bond Snowman, and certainly in the 35-ish year gap between the Bond World Snowman and Where of Fear, he must have been out there and doing all kinds of exploration because he was an anthropologist when he started off. Yeah. You know, so there's lots of fun. We could have him as like the doctorish character and he has little kids going on little adventures or whatever. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do as well at some point. So that'll be cool. That'll be a nice little sideline. Yeah. So, I mean, Trevor's obviously going to pop up in this series anyway because, you know, we've got the rights to him. So it'd be stupid not to. Yeah, I love that. I, li- I like the fact he's going to be in it. I saw, I saw that on the little brief on the website. Yeah. Good yeah. character. Yeah. And then Travis, of course, is going to be the guest the the co-lead with Lefty Stewart anyway right. so she's she's going to become his foil you know like he was the foil to the doctor she's going to become the foil to the brigadier um, but again like all these other characters we've got we're going to be building it gradually we're not going to just throw everything together at one time mm. we're going to build it up and just create things bit by bit because you know we've got lots of time to do it in, so let's do it so I think it's um, you mentioned using um, a lot of the the cool characters. I think it's great that I I hope this doesn't give too much away, but I'm I'm really glad that you used uh, you brought Driver Evans into the story. (laughs) (laughs) That that was that was um, entertaining because he's very stereotype Welsh. Yes, yes. I'm a Welsh myself. I don't sound it, but I am. Um, So writing for him was really fun because. As a Welshman, I would never go out to write a stereotypical Welsh person because it is a stereotype and it's not very true. But back then, that's what that was the perception of these characters. Yeah. And since it's yeah. that character, it had to be that stereotype. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been the same character. I read yeah, you. I see. Yeah. So I'm like, right, okay, that's the point we've got to start from. But we've got an arc for this character as well. And so I'm like, well, we'll start off as he is still the stereotype he was in Web of Fear. And gradually we can build him from that turn him into a real three-dimensional character cool, cool we have to start off from where it was and he's a good laugh you know he's you know i'm, I'm sure you've as i said you both probably read that scene in the hospital yeah yeah <laughs> that was really good fun to write because it just seems so him you know he's such an insubordinate git let's <laughs> bring a nice bit of humor into it yeah 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 if i need a toilet then hold yourself <laughs> <laughs> he's a great yeah. character I really liked comes, him from Weatherford. He comes back so. at the end of the book as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, he'll pop up over the next few books. That's so. awesome. Uh, yeah. Right, so plug time. Just give us those dates again of when the uh, when the book's going to be released. There's three, isn't there? Okay, so um, if you pre-order it from the Candy Jar website directly um, before the 22nd, so you've only got a few days now, you will get a signed copy sent direct straight to you before it's officially released. If you order from Amazon, you won't get it to the 26th because that's the date they've set up. If you wait until the Who Shop, that's on the 28th, is a launch, you'll come and you can meet Terence and get signed and stuff. And I don't know how the Who Shop works, but I imagine if you already bought it and you bring it with you, we'll sign it anyway. Oh, just cool. Buy just buy something else from the shop. Just, you know. There's yeah. plenty of good stuff in there. Buy some, oh, there is. Yeah. It's Aladdin's cave in there. Right. I could, I could lose days. 
Yeah, and of course, Terence is there, and I guarantee they're going to have loads of Terence Dick stuff there. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention, um, <clears throat> not only is me, Terence, Hannah going to be there, and whoever else, but Dave McKinty's popping down. Wow. Nick Wilson's going to be popping in as well. Um, um, an, an author from Batch 2 will be popping by. Unfortunately, Lance is in America now, so he won't be able to pop by. Which is a shame. <clears throat> so they can sign it too, because... At the back of the book, there's previews for all four books. I saw that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Like, there's a scene from the next three. Mm-hmm. So they could always scribble all over that if you want them to. <laughs> and, other, and, of course, if the Who Shall have got any McKinty, Walters, Terrence Dick stuff, buy some and they'll sign those for you too. So, you know, even if you already got the concert, you can still come along and get stuff signed. Yeah, bring it down and you can yeah, buy some. Uh... Sign everything. We don't care. Oh, cool. I'll sign stuff that's not even mine. I don't mind. <laughs> we can bring anything down, a whole carrier bag full of stuff. And Absolutely. I'll defaced anything. I don't mind. <laughs> I can see you walking out of there with a Cyberman helmet under your arm, Gary. <laughs> yeah. And a cardboard cutout of Christa Eccleston. Yeah. And some TARDIS salt and pepper shakers. and. Oh, also, also, you know, um, fans might be good to know. Um, we're going to have a guy down at Luke Spillane who... Um, Currently works for BBC YouTube, and he'd done the videos for the BBC Doctor Who Celebration last year. Um, <clears throat> he'll be there filming like little interviews with people with us, so you could end up on our little YouTube. Um, don't know, don't know what they call it. It's sort of a vlog, I suppose. Oh, sweet! Yeah. Interviewed about the character and just whatever. So, yeah, sounds blooming make, awesome. Make a few seconds of fame. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be yeah. packed. It's going to be good. Yeah. I hope so. You watch, no, they'll turn up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will, trust yeah. me. No, they will. So yeah. that's uh, the 22nd, the 26th, and 28th at the Who Shop. Yes. Sounds awesome. Great stuff. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show, Andy. Mr. Andy. Mr. Andy. Thank, Thank you, you very Mr. much Joe. for popping on. And, um, yeah, this, I think this book's going to be really, really good. Um, for what we've read of it, it's just so, so good. I can't wait. I was just going to say, yeah, I didn't want to be too, like, just because you're on it, but yeah, genuinely, really, really enjoyed what I've read so far. So, yeah, onwards, notwards, can't wait for the rest. Really it's, good. Um, you think mine's if you read Lancers, you were like, oh, that, that was first one was rubbish. <laughs> no, <laughs> no yeah, really looking cool. forward, to, Looking forward to it coming through the letterbox. Mine's pre-ordered and on its way. Mine too. I should have brought a copy up with me and I could have wafted it and gone, look at it, it doesn't look awesome. It does, yeah. <laughs> we can look at your Twitter feed to see all your pictures of it. Yeah, I'll tell you, mate, when it arrived at the shop, I was like, yeah, this is actually kind of... Oh, I bet that's some brilliant, actually, that moment when it first arrives and you're like, there it is, done. Yeah. yeah. No going... I, I'm kind of... I don't know. I sometimes I try to distance myself from it a little bit, so I'm flicking through it, and I'm like, "Gosh, did I really write all that?" Weird. Mm. Even now, and I think if I ever lose that, then I'm going to stop doing it. But as yeah. long as I can keep that feeling, I'll keep on writing. Awesome. Because I don't, I don't think you should ever lose the fun of what you're doing. No, definitely not. No. So the Forgotten Son, Andy Frank Mallon, is out. 22nd, 26th, and 28th. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Catch you on one of those dates. Indeed. <laughs> Cheers, Andy. Thanks very much, Andy. Good stuff. So thanks very much to Andy. And uh, yeah, I, I'm genuinely looking forward to getting getting my copy of this book and, and finishing it. So yeah. how about you, mate? It's going to be good, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. Yeah. What a nice yeah. guy. What a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Well. It was a really, really great chat, actually. Really good. Yeah. He certainly knows his stuff. He does. Where it concerns the brig. He, he does. <laughs> well, and, and more, actually, because I mean, I, I consider myself quite a quite a big fan. But even I, there's a couple of little bits I was thinking, oh, 
I don't know. I don't know this. You know, like he was talking about the books, wasn't he? About the Virgin books and stuff, which yeah. I, I never, um, I never really got into um, at the time. And I know they're quite a big thing. They, you know, they sort of filled in a big gap of who when yeah. it wasn't on. So I sort of always feel like oh, I was thinking, oh no, I don't know about this. So I might have to go and go and search around some of the local charity shops, see if I can pick some of them up as well. <laughs> yeah. Good idea, I mate. do love my books. I really, mar- I've got so many books. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah, really good to talk to Andy. Thanks. Yes, nice Thanks one, for jumping on, Andy. So, review time. Yes. Indeedy. And this week it is The Visitation. Have you seen the sky? It's beautiful. Strange lights in the sky never bode well for the future. Ah! Is that supposed to be Heathrow? Well, actually, they haven't built the airport yet. We're about 300 years early. You must be new to the world, sir. Have not you heard? There is plague. Where? Everywhere. You'd better prepare yourself for a shock. What now? I don't think you'll have seen anything quite like a pterodactyl before. Horrible, horrible, it was horrible. I am to rid this planet of all its primitives. Genocide. Our rats will ensure that there are no survivors. But you'd need thousands of them. I have thousands of them. There's evil at work here. Their infection will kill every living thing. A final visitation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Robbins does make me laugh. Um, it, 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 <laughs> even in that trailer, I was having a little chuckle to myself because he's very, you know, playing the theatrical, isn't he? And, and all this sort of thing. Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah, was going to mention <laughs> that later. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but um, yeah, before, remind me later that there's something I want to mention about the, um, the, the guy who played the lead, um, Terra Leptil. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, there's something about his voice in that little trailer that the BBC America did um, versus what oh. he actually sounds like in the in the show. Quite different, but... Um, yeah, yeah, intriguing. So, okay. The Visitation. Um, mm. Davison. Era. Yes, Davison. We haven't done Davison for a while, have we? Yeah, 1982, four episodes. Yeah. And uh, part of series 19. I almost said it then. You nearly said season, didn't you? I nearly I could, did. Oh, yeah, I could hear it. Saved it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in yeah series 19, I guess this will be, be classed that. And, um, well, I'm going to go straight off the bat, mate, and say that I really enjoyed this one. Oh, good. Yeah, Excellent. I thought this one was very cool. Um, in, in, not, in not such a way that you'd think either. I mean, I really enjoyed the story. Love Davison. Mm. Um, but there was a couple of things in, in this uh, this story that was so bad that they're actually very good, if that makes <laughs> is, sense. Um, is one of them Michael Robbins? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, in a, As, yeah, uh, in a way. What's he called? Richard Mace is the character, isn't it? Richard Mace, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. more thinking along the lines of um, the Terraleptil's uh, costume ah, and right. the android costume. The glittery android? Yeah, I, you know... Mm. I thought they were they were done so bad that I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought that was one of those charming things about Classic Who that uh, you just enjoy that stuff. You know, you don't let it get in the way. Absolutely. Are you tempted to get your um, cricket gloves out and put some nice spangly little sparkles on them? <laughs> Is that what they were? Cricket gloves? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I know what you mean actually, because the, the terra terraleptals. I mean, the, I love the sort of look of them, the design of them, but the costume looks so. Um, flimsy and it looks really sort of rubbery and 
and awful. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. I love the look of them. I think, like you said, it's sort of um, it's a bit of a sort of contrast, really, because it. I love it, but yeah, it perhaps doesn't look great. I don't know. It's a strange one. Yeah, it's um. There was one thing that I did like about the costume, though, and that was the effect with the lips and the mouth moving. I thought that was mm. for its time. That was quite cool. Um, yeah. But like you say, the whole outfit was layers of of fabric and rubber. It didn't really yeah. look like it was part of... It looked like he was wearing that as a suit, not like it was his skin. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, like the neck <laughs> neck joint and stuff is very... Yes, it's very much um, man in a rubber suit, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it does kind of work. I mean, the Android... I, again, I love the design of the Android, the actual sort of face of it and, and stuff. And I like it when he's in the Grim Reaper costume it's all quite eerie um but he is very sparkly and it really shouldn't work as well as it does but i do like it yeah i just thought yeah i mean the the, the worst bit of the story for me was the android what the right. bloody hell <laughs> right if you're gonna <laughs> oh god if you if, if you're gonna have like a menacing android and he's gonna terrorize like the local village folk and he's gonna dress up as death and all the rest of it what what were you thinking, making him like a glitter ball, like a yeah. disco ball, walking around on on like these platform shoes, and <laughs> oh my god, like the what what's with all the glitter and and the the bright colours and he looks like a like a court jester, but with yeah. a, a a weird android head. He's very sparkly. Yeah, he's, he's definitely very he's definitely very sparkly little chap. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's very much of its time, isn't it? I mean, I I can't imagine them doing anything like that now. Mm, um, but yeah. yeah, very much of its era. Um, in terms of the sort of story, though, I think you're right. It's it's a great little story. It's a fairly sort of simple story. Mm -hmm. um, these is it three of them that actually crash land. Three of them, yeah. Yeah, three of them crash land on, on Earth, uh, and they're renegades, uh, as you um, reminded me earlier, because uh, I couldn't work out why they were trying to sort of, um, you know, what they were doing on Earth. But yeah, so they, they basically, they're renegades, and they just want to take over the Earth. Um, and that's that's pretty much it, isn't it? It's quite a sort of simple Yeah, Yeah, there isn't much else to it other than that. And um, well, it, so When's it set again? They, they, they land in the, is it... Um, Nine, oh. Yeah, it's quite funny because they're meant to be dropping... Um, 17th century or something like that? Yeah, 17th, yeah, because they're meant to drop um, Tegan. Is it Tegan or Nyssa? One of them. No, it's Tegan, yeah. To Heathrow Airport. So she... <laughs> um, and, yeah, they they arrive a little bit early, like 300 years early. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> she's really she's really miffed at that um, in her kind of Aussie... How much of Tegan have you seen? Because yeah, she's she's a funny one. I mean, she just spends nearly every episode um, moaning, and you know, she it's really weird. She obviously doesn't really enjoy much, um, you know, traveling around the TARDIS because she seems to always want to go home and leave. And I think there's quite a few episodes where she's he's trying to get her back to Heathrow and stuff. Yeah, I don't, how, didn't know how much of her you'd actually seen. Um, I've seen a few. Yeah, I've seen a few now with her. She, yeah, she does have that. Um, she is a bit moany, isn't she? she oh, she, yeah. She's, the glass is always half empty. Yeah, and, and I kind of uh, like that because Davison reacts really well to it, doesn't he? <laughs> I, the, the friction between the two of them it is pretty good, actually. And I think they, they obviously get on well, those two. There's always a little glimmer in the eyes between the two of them, I think. Yeah, there's kind of an opposites attract kind of thing going on, isn't there? It's um, Yeah. Yeah, but I do... Um, uh, she's okay. I mean, there's worse companions, for sure, but she's 
she's she's all right. She's just a bit whingy, isn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, Nissa, she's just typical Nissa, really. She just just got on with it. <laughs> Poor old Nissa. Yeah, she often doesn't get. She often sort of gets left in the TARDIS, or um, she doesn't always get a lot to do, does she? Poor mm. Nissa. Yeah. Um, I think in this one she spends. A lot of time in the TARDIS. She, I was trying to think if she actually gets out much in this one. Yeah, um, yeah. They so go all I can the... remember is she's in the end, you know, the end bit. But all oh, right, because she helps. She... Uh, yeah, she helps explore the the, the house near the beginning. Um, oh yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And then the Doctor sends her off to make this vibrating machine oscillator mm. thing. That's right. Um, yeah, so she spends a good deal of time uh, trying to construct this thing. Um, sonic booster, should I say? That's it, sonic booster. And um, yeah, what? the only thing she has to do really, she gets interrupted by that useless little uh, Adric. I was just going to say, and what what does Adric do? I uh, I bet you were laughing at that scene when he um, has that kick fight with the yeah. robot outside the. T- I bet you were go- <laughs> bet you were gurning. I bet you go, oh, there grimacing were, at it. Yeah, there were two. There were twice when I was cracking up at Adric. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first time is when they get attacked by the villagers in the woods and he gives one of them a shot and then he crouches down and they, yeah, just really. Oh, bless him. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a, this is probably, this is when the TARDIS was quite crowded, wasn't it? I think they, because uh, obviously Adric does have his um, exit not that far from this one. Uh, is it? I can't remember now. But anyway, yeah, they sort of decided the TARDIS was getting a bit too crowded. Uh, and Adric had to go. And it's, you can understand it because obviously you've got Tegan, Nissa, and Adric. You know, it's hard to think of enough story to keep them all involved, which is why often, you know, one or two of them just end up doing pretty much nothing yeah. um, sometimes. Yeah. And Adric's definitely, I mean, Adric doesn't do anything in his story, really, does he? He's, apart from the kickboxing scene. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, um, I just find him an argumentative little brat a lot of the time <laughs> you know i just want to smash him in the face with something oh, no. <laughs> um i know i know he's not one of the most one of the most uh loved companions and i i did feel for him at the end of Earthshock. i did there, there was a little bit of me that thought oh you know it's it was quite a sad way to go because the end of that story is very very downy isn't it it's um there's no music it's very oh that's you right know, and all you see is his little his little badge on the floor as the credits are rolling. So, I I did feel for him at the end of Earthshock, but in this one, I just I just wanted him to to do one. You know, a, a large, yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I mean, that, that's the thing. I, mean, I guess that you know they're all laughing in that in that end scene of Earthshock, don't you? They they genuinely are. They say in the commentary, we were just we couldn't keep a straight face when we were trying to. That's why if you look at uh, Tegan when she pretends to cry into the doctor's shoulder or Nissa's shoulder, they're, they're absolutely killing themselves laughing. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, next time you watch it, just watch Tegan. You can see it. They're all of them. Uh, and listen to the commentary. They're, they're just, they said they just got fits of giggles and couldn't stop. Um, but the thing is with Adric, I mean, oh, God, he, he comes in for so much stick, and, and, you know, I can see why. But as a kid, obviously, I grew up... Um, you know, with Adric when I was a lot younger. I really wanted to be Adric because as oh. a kid, well, as a kid, he really appealed to me because he was sort of not similar age, but I sort of thought, ah, oh, he's not that much older than me. I can imagine being, you know, the Adric character in the TARDIS because of the age. So I sort of, I don't know, I have a sort of um, 
uh, affection is the wrong word, but I like I like Adric, but I think just because I wanted to be him as a kid, I wanted to be travelling with the Doctor. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You say some really cute things sometimes, Adam. Oh, wow. Well, you really do. I bet our listeners are like, oh, you're a cutie pie, that Adam. Oh, I bet they're not. I bet they go, no, Adric's bloody awful. Because <laughs> I remember, um, I think it was a couple of episodes ago, you said that if you, if you could, if it was possible, you'd go back in time and give yourself... The K9. K9, that's yeah, so I would, adorable. Yeah. I know. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure Matthew Whitehouse is a nice guy, but, you know, looking back, you know, to Adric, it's just, he yeah, just got that annoying was... sound as well. His voice just drives me insane. He's just whiny and argumentative and uh, a couple of slaps would have sorted that out. But <laughs> I yeah. think actually that one of the, I think the doctor wanted to, because at the start, they're kind of arguing a bit, aren't they? Like Adric's being like a spoiled brat and the doctor's mm. getting very cross of him at the start of this episode, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and uh, you can imagine actually that you can almost see it in Davison's face that he wants to give a good clip around the ear. But <laughs> one thing I noticed about Davison in this actually is he's quite, um, he's channeling a bit of the first doctor, I think. He's, he's being quite sort of snappy and tetchy at times because um, he, he sort of changes a bit, I think, Davidson's Doctor. Um, I think so. yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He sort of um, sort of mellows out a little bit in the middle, and then he and then he really hits his stride towards the end, just as he's leaving, which is a shame. But yeah, I felt he was quite sort of um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of little bits of this where he's quite sort of abrupt with the companions and really sort of putting them in their place. And and he's you know he's got no time really for the Michael Robbins character, has he? The the, the thespian. Yes. He's really not. He's, he's really not interested in, in him at all, is he? It's, um, I liked Davidson. In this. I, I, I thought he was really good. There's a plague <laughs> everywhere. Yes. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think to Michael Robinson as Richard Mace? He's, he was very pantomime. Very, very pantomime. <laughs> and this is one of those things, uh, exactly what you said at the beginning. I, um, it, He's so bad, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> it, re, it really works for me. I think it's just because I find it humorous. Um, he's so over the top in it. Uh, and I almost feel like he doesn't even know what show he's in. He just seems to be going off on his own <laughs> tangent, let him get on with it. You know, I, I, I do like him in it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought his voice was, was quite hilarious throughout. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. the same. He, he had, um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking his, his acting skills at all, but, um, he had the same face and the same expression and the same tone in his voice, no matter what he was saying. So whether he was scared or frightened or if he was quite, you know, happy at the time, it was still the same, the same face and the same tone. It was, it was really funny to watch. Did you expect him to say Olive at some point? Was it, was it Oliver you say? Oh, Olive. Olive yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear me. But no, I, I think he, he works in it just about. Um, just I quite, about, yeah. Just about. I quite enjoy his silly performance in it. Um, I, I tell you, I love the location of this as well. I like, again, this villagey feel to the, the Doctor landing in a village and stuff and, um, and I love the start, you know, when, when we've got this manor house and it's got, um, what's that guy's name that used to be in Coronation Street for years? John Savignon or something? Did you recognise um, him? He's, in, he's only in the very beginning bit. He, I mean, John Savignon, yeah. As yeah, the squire. Gets, yeah. The squire, yeah. He gets killed off. He was, do you remember him, Fred Elliott? As yeah, yeah. In, yep. yeah. He was, he's only in the beginning. But I, li- I like that start. It's really nice because it, it kind of reminds me of the old Doctor Who. Mm. Sort of this. It's quite a sort of long time before we get to see the TARDIS team so yeah. you've got this sort of nice five minute beginning that's in this 17th century home and the stars coming down and it's very old school um, reminds me of the sort of real you know almost like the Pertwee, Dave, uh, Pertwee Baker era yeah. do you know what I mean yeah, yeah I like that 
Yeah, that was cool. It had a kind of um, at a, at a, a slower start. It was just because um, you had the Android um, that came and kind of laid waste to the to those dudes in the in the house. But after that, it was kind of you know it had a really nice pace to it. After that, it took its time to to get the story going, which is quite nice. Which is um, yeah, I like the way missed. it leads up from from that beginning with him being shot to then because when you do finally see the pterodactyl, pterodactyl, no, pterodactyls. Yeah, when you do see it and it's got no <laughs> eye, and you sort of think, okay, so that's the one that got shot at the start. And yeah, it's it do, does sort of come full circle quite well. Yeah, uh, I think the pacing's quite good. I mean, there, there's a little bit of padding here and there, but it does move along. I think at a, a reasonable pace. Um, I yeah. don't think I think that one of the notes I made actually is the the <laughs> the cliffhanger. And and the actual resolution to episodes one and two is really weak, isn't it? You know, like they just she just goes doctor because it's shouting at the wall. Oh yeah. And yeah. then in the next one, he just appears, and goes yes. Oh, it's right. so <laughs> bad. I was like, oh, that is yeah, such yeah. a terrible cliffhanger. But but <laughs> it's a very minor sort of gripe with the episode because I, I do think overall it's it's really good actually. Yeah, I re I really enjoyed it. It was um, I I think that's the sweet spot with some classic who stories is the four parters oh yeah you know what i mean for me i mean there's a there's a few six parters that have that are just brilliant and amazing but you know for me i think these four parters are, i like the, the the perfect length um especially this one they're only 25 minutes or just under yeah so um it's bang on an hour pretty much and um you know it's just really which is like you know on season openers with newer doctor who normally they're an hour and they seem to have a bit more time, you know, to move the story along at a decent pace without rushing it. So I really like the um, the four-part length for some of these classic ones. And, uh, yeah, I, ne I never felt like the story was rushed or it was being longed out in this one. It, it was all seemed to fit together pretty well. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't feel it sort of dragged anywhere at all. Or mm. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't sort of find myself sort of thinking, how much longer has this got episode got? You know, I, mean, I sort of was pretty much invested in it quite, you know. Yeah quite liked it didn't find myself getting bored at any point yeah did you see any um any easter eggs in this one any little nods to anything else i saw one um or i heard one should i say no um, no no yeah the um it's only because i'd watched it previous um not too long short before but um at the end of pyramids of mars uh the doctor says that um i, I i've had enough i've had enough of that in 1666 you know, he doesn't we blame for the fire of London. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. At the end um, of this, it's um, supposedly that's how the the great fire of London started on Pudding Lane, wasn't it? That's right. Do you know, I didn't didn't connect that at all. Actually, mm -hmm. no, no, no. Well, well spotted. Is that um, just because you've recently watched Pyramids? Yeah, watched. Yeah, watched it recently, Ooh. and um, yeah, I, it wasn't until I saw that sign for Pudding Lane at the end of this one when I watched it yesterday, I was like, oh, nice little link. Yeah, no, that is. I I must admit, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that at all. That is a nice little link. In fact, I do like the whole. I I don't always like it when they do this thing of of sort of mixing um, real events in with you know tying them in with the story. It doesn't always work. Um, but I I quite like this one because it's it's a sort of fairly simple. You know, the fact that the fire starts, the Doctor lets it go because he knows it's the great fire at london and mm. it has to happen and it is um i think it works all right actually I, I quite like that yeah and um yeah the sonic 
Yeah, so just looking at my notes, that's the next thing I'd got as well. Drop the sonic device. And yeah, I remember being gutted, um, you know, as a kid thinking, oh, I'm sure he's got a spare one in the TARDIS. But no, after the sonic is destroyed in this episode, we don't see it Hmm. again. Um, When is it? well, I, I think I don't think we see it again until till McGann's TV movie. Actually, oh, I might be I might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, if if any listeners are out there, do correct me. But yeah. no, I think uh, the producer wanted rid of it. Um, he he thought it was just too easy for the Doctor to get out of situations with the Sonic, which um, okay. you know rings a bit true uh, with the Matt Smith era. Mm-hmm. But but uh, yeah, he, the, the producer wanted rid of it, and so did the writer Eric Sayward. Um, so that was it. It was destroyed. And yeah, I'm pretty sure we don't, I don't think the doctor gets the Sonic again. Um, until, yeah, it would be in the, in the eighth movie. And even in that one, we only kind of just see it, don't we? He doesn't really use it. He doesn't use it too much, does he? Yeah. No, no, McCoy never had one. Um, the sixth doctor has a Sonic Lance at one point. (laughs) Uh, which is, oh yeah 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 but uh, no we don't see the Sonic again so it's R.I.P. the Sonic right and okay. uh, yeah and that was a sad sad moment for me as a kid I, d- I loved the Sonic I used to I used to use my dad's tire pressure gauge um, as a Sonic as a toy when I was a kid because we didn't have all these <laughs> toys that we have now I mean what I would have given maybe if I ever go back <laughs> and oh, give myself go. that K9 <laughs> I'll, I'll must take a Sonic with me because that was the that was the other thing I wanted as a kid but yeah. I used to have a little tyre pressure gauge, this little silver thing. Oh. That was my Sonic. And then it gets destroyed in this one. Yeah, yeah, completely destroyed. Yeah, I can sort of understand it. I mean, it is a bit of a get-out clause, the Sonic, sometimes, isn't it? It can be. Yeah, yeah I mean, it got way overused in, in the Matt Smith era, didn't it? Way overused. It Yeah, it was starting to go that way in the tenant stuff towards the end as well. Yeah, it was and, really uh, starting to annoy me after a while. I think David Tennant himself even said to RTD on a few occasions, you know, we can't be having the Sonic come to the rescue as much as it, you know, it's just not, it's not cricket. No, that's right, it's not cricket. <laughs> yeah. So, but, I mean, what did you, did you think, you like Davison, don't you? He's, I do like Davison. Yeah, yeah you're on board he, with Davison. Yeah, I think he's got a, a, some, some good qualities about him, you know, playing the Doctor and, uh, yeah, just something about him. He's just, uh, I don't get bored watching the Davison ones. Um, he's got less cool... Like as you say, he kind of he has a few different streaks that you that you only see in certain stories, and this one he was very it was very um, very firm, almost bossy with the companions yes. on this one, and quite quite grumpy, like you say, that some Hartnell coming through, and on some other ones he can be very funny. He's got a, a very comical, even in um, uh, uh, Caves of Androzani, his last one he was he was fairly humorous in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's his best performance. I love him as the Doctor in, in mm. that particular story. Um, I think he's he's sometimes criticised for being a bit too human. I think you know a little bit like Tennant sometimes gets, and I'm not sure. I think he's just one of the more compassionate Doctors. I don't know necessarily think he plays it too human. Yeah, um, I'd agree. I with can that. sort of yeah. see why people might say that, but. But no, I've always liked Davison. I mean, I suppose although I, you know, when I grew up, it was Tom Baker and. And then, pretty much all my earliest memories of Doctor Who are, are Peter Davison. So in a way, he's my Doctor. Um, he's not my favourite Doctor, but he's sort of the Doctor I grew up with. Um, and I, I always liked him because I liked the fact. I, I think with Peter, I always felt safe in terms of 
his doctor, you kind of know he's always going to look after people. I mean, there's no sort of Capaldi side to him where he might sacrifice someone to save the rest of the group. You know what I mean? Peter's doctor is yeah. very much, you, you just know he's going to try and save everybody in the room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was quite a sort of safe doctor, if you like. And, mm-hmm. But I, I quite like that. Yeah. You know? He's cool. Yeah. Quite like him. And we'll, and we'll be looking forward to meeting him soon, won't we? Because we'll be at the Day of the Doctors in, in a few weeks. So. A few weeks now, yeah. yeah. I hope he's in a good mood because he's uh, he could go either way, Peter Davison. <laughs> I've, I've met him a few times and he's he's been great sometimes and other times he's been a bit of in a bit of a strop. Uh, but hopefully, yeah, he'll be in a good mood at this one because yeah. he, is, he is good. Review. Out of ten. Right. Out of ten. Actually, I want to ask you first because I've, I've actually... I never do this, but I've I've written two scores because I can't decide. Ooh, so I'm going to okay. ask you what what your score is. It's my turn. Is it to go first? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to give this a seven point five. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm going to agree with you. Um, <laughs> I am being a bit of a sheep this week because I did write eight out of ten, yeah. and then I scribbled it out and I wrote seven point five. Oh, okay. I'm I'm really torn between the two because I I genuinely really like the story. Um, actually, no, do you know what? No, sorry. I should always stick with what I first yes. wrote. So I, I should, I should go eight out of 10 because I enjoy it. I think it's a good, good story. Um, there are a few bits that let it down, like you say, but they're not big things. They're just little sort of, um, things that are from the era. Um, so I can forgive them. Uh, so yeah, right. I'm going to go eight out of 10. I, okay. I really like, I really like this one. I was thinking eight. I didn't confirm that. I was sort of saying eight, seven, seven and a half. And I, I, I knocked it down to seven and a half purely for three reasons, really. The Android, which mm-hmm. just looks utterly ridiculous. And I have no idea why the designers decided to, to dress the Android up to look that way. It just has no it's the relevance, ages, man. It's has no the relevance to a menacing Android or even a service droid like C-3PO. <laughs> doesn't look as camp as this re- oh yeah so he does android- get blown to bits though doesn't he i mean this does actually blow him to pieces yeah which is good at the end yeah so the android um the the pterodactyl <laughs> the pteroleptil he <laughs> uh yeah so what, what i mentioned at the very beginning because you know we we said about his suit it looks yeah. a bit I, I i didn't really focus too much on that i kind of i kind of like that in a weird way it's like a the old classic who, you know, wobbly sets and crappy, crappy effects and stuff. I, I kind of forgive that. It's fine. Um, what I didn't forgive, though, was his voice. And I don't mean the actor's voice, how he portrayed, how he portrayed him. I, I mean more of the, you know, when so on some of the other classic who's where we've had a monster of some sort. Um, you know, when we did the demons. Yeah. And we had Azal the big demon guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good um, voice. Yeah. The effect that they put on his voice was, you know, was pretty much spot on. Mm. Um, and when you've seen some other Who stories where you've had a guy in a suit, they've overdubbed his voice so that you can, you know, they can put a bit more drama into it and make it a lot clearer. Yeah. But with this one, it was just the guy's voice literally coming through a rubber suit. <laughs> yeah, they don't treat it, do they? They've done nothing um, to it like mm. at all so it's muffled it's like the guy's talking away and he's trying to be quite menacing but, <laughs> do you know what i mean it, it, yeah because he's got that <laughs> blooming great thing strapped to his chin isn't he that, yeah you know, yeah so i can understand a budget and maybe the time and they didn't you know didn't have both of those things to go back afterwards and and get somebody to do the voice again 
and overdub it. But you know that, yeah, that kind of that just made me just crack up laughing a lot <laughs> of the time when he was trying to be really angry because who was talking? And you yeah. couldn't really hear what he was saying because yeah. you could literally tell it was just a guy being muffled by all the all the suit. So anyway, um, yeah. What's the third thing I was going to say? Uh, Adric. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's he's bringing it down, is he? Yeah, he just he, he just one of these. You could tell that he was one of those kids that just didn't get enough backhanders. <laughs> well, um. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's some 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 of the older school. You know, God, I sound really old saying that, but you know, it's just one of those things. We're not enough discipline when he was younger, and so he got uh-huh. away with murder. And you know, it's one of these things where. Dad, can I stay up a bit longer to watch whatever? No, you can't. But Dad, you know, that would go on for half an hour and in the end his dad would say, oh, go on then. Yeah, I can hear the father in you speaking now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he's like that with the doctor. You know, he's very, very bratty, very whingy and, yeah. So, I think, yeah, yeah I, go, I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not suggesting that I give my son, you know, any oh, backhanders no, no. at all. I'm not saying that at all, but, you know, I don't know. He was, he's just... Yeah, just topped off that last point five, brought it down to seven and a half. You you saying about the voices though? I was just gonna say you reminded me to ask you about the American thing. Uh, that was it. That was yeah, just the voice. Yeah, so on the trailer that we played, that little snippet before we started mm. to do, they've actually treated his voice fairly well for the trailer. So they've they've gone back and pulled out his audio and cleaned it up and put a little bit of echo on there, and it sounds a lot better in that little trailer. So if you just rewind the podcast a bit to where we started this review section, you'll hear the Terraleptil's voice is a lot clearer and a lot more treated and it sounds a lot better. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I, I must admit, I hadn't noticed, actually, but, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look out for that when I listen back. Yeah. Yeah. I did think, actually, the, the end bit where they were melting in the fire was a little bit... I don't like that bit where you see the face popping. I found that a little bit unnecessary, actually. Uh, you know, when the... Ter- t- oh, in ter- the barn at the end when it's on fire. Yeah, it almost oh, okay. just seemed like they were melting the suits a bit, didn't it? Let's melt them down, finish oh, yeah. now. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. Um, but also, I liked the music in it. I want to say that. I, I kind of yes. like the 80s. My, my yeah. favourite score is The Five Doctors. Oh, man, I, 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 I love lo- the yeah. music in The Five Doctors. And I'm saying that now because I forgot to say it in the review at the time. I, I love that. Yeah. So some, some of the 80s music is great. Some of it not so much. But in this, it's not too intrusive. I think it's just right. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. So we're going for 7.5 for you, and I'm sticking with an 8. Cool. Yeah, brilliant. Right, yeah, should we jump over to uh, our, our awesome listeners who have yeah. given us a few, uh, a few thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm going to start on Twitter. Uh, we had um, Jim Tallinn. Um, Hello, Jim. Twitter name is uh, Sarah B. Jim. Uh, she's put Peter's first entry into the Among the Best of Doctor Who. Oh, right. Yeah. And Claire, her Twitter name is nerdal 42 Oh, hi, Claire. Uh, she's put, love this, not seen it for yonks. Any excuse to watch this is fine with me, though. Hashtag <laughs> RIP Sonic Screwdriver. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on Facebook, um, Stuart Stockwin. He's put, Hello, gr- Stuart. Yeah, he's put, great, never seen this story, so looking forward to it. Um, Ryan Anthony, it is one of the very few Davison stories I've watched. Uh, and I understand, not a very popular doctor, but judging by this, he was quite good. The story itself was great and had me grip start to finish, um, though it's nothing like Caves of Androzani, so I'll give it 7.5 out of 10. And Adam Hoovian says, it was on US Netflix, and I really enjoyed the story. <laughs> 
I think, um, yeah, well, it's, it's, I agree with pretty much all of that. I, I think it's, it is a good one from Peter's era. It's perhaps not as gritty as, say, Kaiser and Zani or, or anything like that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, let's have a look then. What did, what did I get? So we had Kai McNamee. Um, Hi, Kai. A fa- <laughs> Hello, Kai. A fairly good story. I'm fond of these pseudo-historical stories, and the Terraleptals are a good villain. Yeah, they were good. Um, and the voice is quite sinister, he says. <laughs> I like the tie-in to the Black Death and the Great Fire of London. Good performance, a good plot. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I forgot about the... Black Death. The Blade. That was good. The Blade. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was good. Yes. The, the thespian in me liked that. Yes, um, it's everywhere. <laughs> um, Robert Lifko, he says, pretty good. And one of the better Davidson era stories. Just a fun pseudo historical. Seven out of ten. Sure. So both Kai and Robert gave it seven out of ten. Cheers, Robert. So that's good. Um, Kyle Wacker says, poor Sonic Screwdriver. Oh. Uh, R.I.P. Sonic. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, so overall it's pretty positive. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the comments I pretty much agree with. Nothing really that negative to say about this one. I really, really like it. And Yeah, I think it's, hmm. um, it's a good story. Yeah, and it seems our listeners agree. So, yeah, no, no negativity this week. All good. Thank you for your comments, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> Almost going Hartnellish there. Almost. Almost, but not quite. I shall come back. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cross between Hartnell and K9. K9. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's, let's end this before it gets silly. Yeah, let's, and let's just say hashtag poor Sonic Screwdriver because I love that. Such fun. Yeah, that was good. Such fun talking to you guys all about who. Thank you very much to Andy. Andy yes. Frank Allen to popping on and do an interview. It's uh that book is gonna be I mean, we've read pretty much well, most of it, and I'll tell you what, mate, it's such a good book, isn't it? I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 about sort of quarter of the way through. I'm loving it. Absolutely, yeah. really genuinely. Um, and yeah I can't wait to, to carry on reading it it's really really good yeah. recommend picking it up so get on to Amazon or Cookie Jar uh, Candy Jar sorry or go on to uh, pop down to the Who Shop on the 20, 28th um, and get a signed copy from the man himself that's it yeah so thank you very much Andy that's very cool um, yeah The Visitation good story yes good story so what's happening next week uh, uh, a lot, lot going on next week haven't we we have got a lot, lot going on um, yeah. we've got a commentary for you guys so you'll be able to sit down, pop a, pop a disc in and watch it along with us and you can hear us waffle along and we give you our thoughts. And it's going to be the 11th the hour. The 11th hour. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be a good one. So yeah, bonus, bonus podcast. Bonus show next week. You'll probably go out to you guys on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday next week. Yeah, it's fun to do, wasn't it? First, first commentary one we've done. So mm. hope you guys like it because if you do, it'll be the first of, uh, of a few. Indeedy. So head over to uh, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. From there, you can find links to Twitter and Facebook. Jump over to those and give us a like and a follow and contribute to our conversations and wafflings on there. Check out Adam's podcast, um, Adam's video series, sorry, <laughs> uh, The Geek's Handbag. Just go to YouTube and Facebook and do a search for The Geek's Handbag. That's it. Loads of cool stuff on there. Um, um, go on. 
just before you say, I just gotta say, just before you say the magic, the magic word, um, we will be doing a, a, a regular podcast next week as well. So there will be two. Um, yep. And next week's story is the Doctor's wife. So give us your opinions on that. Okay. Until then. Alonzi. Alonzi.